Welcome to the show. This is the Power Limit Podcast, episode 19. I'm producer Paul. Thanks for joining us. All right, our special guest today is Carlos Mendez. Carlos is a retired Navy SEAL where he served as a medic, sniper, and point man assigned to SEAL Team 1. Carlos now works with Echelon Front where he's a leadership instructor. Uh, Raul and Carlos share an extreme amount of passion for leadership uh, and obviously empowering others. This episode does not disappoint. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. All right, we'll get to the show, but first, let me get through our promotional partners. First up, as always, Jelco. Everything from utility, arborist, tower, and windmill products can be found at Jelco Safety on Instagram. Uh, do me a favor, go back to episode four. Go check out Cat. The owner of Jelco, uh, she has a great story. Um, Kat is an incredible uh, individual, and, and she does a lot for the trade. So uh, go check it out, episode four. All right, next up, working athlete. I'll tell you what, my new summer drink is the new blue raspberry, hydrate and recover, mixed with the orange, energy and focused, uh, straight fire. Use promo code POWERELEMENT at checkout to save yourself 20% off. You can find them at working athlete on Instagram. Next up, Klein Tools. Check them out at Klein underscore tools on Instagram. While you're there, check out the KTB 500. It's a portable power station. Perfect for on the job site um, or this past weekend, like me, I enjoyed it on the campsite. Came in clutch, kept everything charged. Uh, super cool, super portable. Once again, you can find them at Klein underscore tools. Next up, Co Eyewear. For all your ANSI Z87 needs, me personally, I can't get enough of the A-Face style. I have the black frames and the tortoise frames. Compliments all the time. Super cool. Uh, use promo code POWERELEMENT to save 15% off at checkout. You can find them at Co Eyewear on Instagram. All right, last one, guys. Here we go. Safety One Training. Providing electric utilities with expert safety instruction and fall protection, rigging, and off-road vehicle operation for over 35 years. Visit them at safetyoneinc.com. All right, special thank you to Daniel Sanchez, son of journeyman alignment, Easy Sanchez. Sanchez, excuse me. Uh, Daniel provides us with all of our music right here. You can hear this one. Um, and the intro song, outro, you know it. It's all Daniel. Uh, super talented young man. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate you so much. His information will be in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Dill at Lyman Mama. Thank you, Josh at High Voltage Commando. Last but not least, I want to thank the entire Sturgeon Electric California workforce. Without you, this podcast would not be possible. Appreciate you guys. All right, let's get to the show. Carlos Mendez, episode 19, the Power Element Podcast. Enjoy the show.
back. Man, long <laughs> vacation. What was that? January 18th. It's the last episode. It's, it's been a minute, my man. Left me on an island. <laughs> hey, you did a good job holding down the fort, though. I appreciate uh, appreciate you, Jeff, job. Tony, um, Jordan. Jordan, all did a great job. Yeah, thank you. Go check out those podcasts, guys, if you haven't seen it. Producer Paul gets down his host. Um, man, episode 19. I'm glad you're back. I know, 19. We're, we got a little library going. Don't don't count it's, us out. It's going good, man. I, I'm actually really excited about today's show, you know, being back and all. Um, what you been up to? Uh, just working. Um, Done any traveling? Uh, yeah, I did a little uh, Memorial Day bash. It's a good weekend. Uh, I'm actually peeling right now. I don't know if you can see it. You can't see it. <laughs> yeah, good thing. It's super itchy, but uh, it was good. Good weekend. It's good. I always forget uh, when, they, when those holidays come up, it's always a little, a little surprising because you're just Working in the oh, grind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had uh, I had an opportunity to do some traveling. Went to Chicago. How was that? It was good. It was good. I actually had an opportunity um, as a guest at the IBW International Convention. So, had a great time, man. It was a seven-day trip. Um, a lot going on. Like I said, a shout-out to Colin Lavin. Thank you again. But uh, there's a lot going on in our trade, and I, you know, our, our industry needs leadership, man. I, I'll tell you that right now. And when I was there, there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of dudes stepping up. Is that the key takeaway, uh, leadership? I would say, yeah. I mean, obviously, I went as a guest. So, you know, quite honestly, it, um, I wasn't a delegate, so I didn't do any of the voting, didn't, didn't do any of the caucuses. Um, but I was able to see the camaraderie, you know, and take a, take a step back and look on, on our industry. And, and when you have good leadership, man, there's just so, there's just so much to take, take from it. Is something like that, like, uh, do you get momentum as far as wanting to be uh, – a better advocate for the brotherhood or is there like a, is it rekindle that fire for, for that part of the union or is, is I mean, there something it, in that? Of course, man. I think, I think when you leave there, obviously, you know, it's the 40th international. So, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be there, but man, I was jacked when I was there. Like I was super excited um, just to get back involved and just really see how big our industry actually is, you know, from, from all trades, right? It's not just linemen. It's 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 wiremen. Oh, really? Right? Oh, yeah. It's 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 all IBW members. You know, every single local out there, and it's a lot bigger than one person. It's not about just one 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 trade. It's about all trades. Cool. Right? So, no, I had a great time. I got a lot of a lot of trips planned here next couple months. So, but man, I'm looking forward to this right here. Man, this is, this is <laughs> back. I'm back in the driver's seat. Right. Yeah, thanks for getting that monkey off my back. Yeah, so, man, excited to have our, our guests here in front of me, um, but I do want to get started before I introduce them. Um, I want to talk a little bit about endurance, if you don't mind. Like um, and sometimes, like I said, learning to lead, and it takes endurance. It's not easy. It's easy to say, sometimes not easy to do. So I looked at that word endurance, and I just want to just share it with all of our listeners today. Uh, so endurance is the, uh, the power to endure in an, an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way or giving up. Learning to lead is definitely not easy. It takes skill. It takes endurance. It takes toughness to win, both in business and in life. And I can tell you, I, I know you just went through some endurance, just finished up 75 hard, man. Sometimes it can be painful. I'm ready to get back on it, man. <laughs> I, I had to get in a swimsuit or board shorts this weekend. I was like, oh, you know. Got a little bikini, huh? Uh, sport shorts, so, <laughs> no bikini. But no, talking about endurance, man. Like it's it's painful. It's not easy. And I know this quote I'm going to read is is my our guest's favorite quote. And like I said, sometimes you'll when you know trying to deal with endurance, you're gonna it's going to be painful. But that pain leaves you with something. 
and it's by Bruce Lee. The pain will leave you when it's done teaching you. So on behalf, I'd like to introduce our guests. On behalf of myself, Paul, and our entire Sturgeon Electric workforce, I'd like to welcome our next guest um, who served in SEAL Team 1 as a medic. He was a primary, snipe, a primary sniper and also the point man. Uh, he also served under Jocko Willink as the lead instructor in charge of teaching close quarter combat for all the West Coast SEAL teams. And currently he's with Echelon Front as a leadership instructor. So for all our listeners, everybody, please welcome to the show, retired Navy SEAL, Carlos Mendez, a.k.a. Los, a.k.a. Rabbit Killer, <laughs> a.k.a. Fafina. <laughs> we'll get to those stories here quick, but man, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Yeah, likewise, man. It's a real pleasure. I know we've been trying to get this together for a bit, so I'm glad we were able to make it happen. It's awesome, man. It's so awesome. Um, I know we were trying to, like you said, get it hooked up, and it's been, you've been busy, man. You've been traveling, and it's been hard to connect with the, with our different schedules, and I'm just, I'm super excited to have you here, so thank you again. Yeah, yeah. No, like I said, pleasure's all mine. <laughs> I'm excited. So what do, you, what do you think of the studio, man? I'll tell you what, man, it's, it's really nice. I told you guys when I came in, this is legit. Right? Uh, I didn't realize you guys were so uh, advanced, <laughs> especially for what, episode 19, you said? Episode 19. Dude, well, Paul brings it, man. Like yeah. I was telling you, Paul, he's he's the decorator. He's a producer. He gets Whoa, down. Oh, impressive. Just <laughs> the guy, man. I mean, he's handling the video, too, right now, man. He's a, he's a one-man wrecking show. Um, German line. But, man, you know what? I've, I've heard your story, um, and I can tell you just on a personal level, like I relate to it. And I think a lot of our trade, a lot of the guys, a lot of our listeners, uh, guys, females, everybody that listens to us will relate to it. Because I think when I hear your story, there's a lot of endurance in it and the way you tell it. So if we could, I'd like to start just from the beginning, if we could, and kind of where you grew up and let you just run with it. And along the way, we'll hit some leadership points and have some fun doing it. You go with it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I immigrated to this country when I was four or five years old. Um, came over here with my mom. She was a single mom. My father passed away when she was pregnant with me. So I never met him. And that's why we came over here, just her and I. Mm -hmm. uh, we moved to the Bay Area. So we lived in like San Francisco, Oakland. Um, we moved around. And when she was going to English school, she met my stepdad, who was from, it's called Czech Republic now. Mm -hmm. Back then it was Czechoslovakia. But he was there when it was still under communist rule. And, um, he, you know, he got rolled up cause he, he drew a cartoon making fun of communism. So one day some, some guys came in, they rolled him up, took him outside, beat him down to a pulp and told him, Hey, when you graduate high school, we're going to send you to the mines and that's where you're going to die. Oh my God. So he decided that's crazy. Yeah, dude. So when you hear his whole Gnarly. story, it's pretty insane. And what's crazy is I heard it. I heard the, the whole story for the first time, maybe like five, six months ago. Hey, what? Yeah. Okay. Well, I knew that he had done that, but I'm talking like details. All oh, the details. Like the him crawling across the border for days, like being so thirsty. He like started drinking like some of his blood. Like like he was just oh like delirious. God. Where's he crawling to? Uh, Do you know what? Sorry. Put you on the spot so there. he ended up making his way to Yugoslavia. Jeez. Right. And, and, and there he, um, they took him in in a refugee camp. And I think he won like some type of lottery where he got to come to the States. So he came here at 19 years old, didn't speak English, didn't know a soul. Oh, my gosh. I think 19 or 20, I forget, but he was young. He was young, and especially now that I know the story and I, I look at myself, I'm just like, dude, that's insane that he did that at that age. Yeah. 
So it's safe to say he, he's a pretty hard man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when we hear our when I hear your story, man, I I grew up a pretty around a pretty hard man too. You yeah. know, as far as my father, and I, I that's why I like totally relate to it. You know, like how you grew up and and your parents. But so you said uh, you're born you're born actually in Guatemala. Yeah. Right. And how did so how did your your mom meet your stepdad? How did you guys end up? Honestly, I have no how, idea how they communicated. Yeah, neither of them spoke English. Yeah, it was just kind of kind of a weird connection there. It's spoke like, the international <laughs> language of love, I guess. <laughs> language of love. I, love uh, I guess that'll sight. happen. Well, they met in English. It just school. seems like two different cultures. Oh it's yeah. Just, well, they met in English school. Yeah. So oh, okay, uh, English school. So, yeah, okay, and then she you. would bring me with her. Obviously, I mean, I yeah. went everywhere with my mom when nice. we first came to the states. You know, I think she was scared. A tough lady. She's super tough, dude. Yeah. Yeah, she's hard as nails. She's super old school, Hispanic. You got siblings? I do. I have two younger brothers. Two younger brothers? Two younger half-brothers, yeah. Okay, okay. Yep. So it was just you and your mom when you guys yeah. came from Guatemala, right? Yep. It was just us two. Um, so but yeah, she, she used to work at the, uh, at the school that I went to as like a teacher's aide, so she could be there with me, right? She could just, she didn't have to drop me off and go to work, and then okay. we were there all day together. We'd get off work, and then she would go clean houses after work. And I would just go with her, do my homework while she was cleaning. And if I was done with my homework, I would help her out. So, so I guess you guys were super close, too. Yeah. Yeah, well. I mean, you guys yeah. did everything together. Everything. That's awesome. Until my stepdad came over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. Actually, I was stoked, man. I was like, I kept telling her, you know, I was like, are you going to yeah. buy me a dad? And I was like, I want a dad. So how old were you at this point when they met? Five. five You're at five? Five or six. Yeah. So I remember hearing the story about, the, uh, about you killing rabbits. Yeah. Which I talked about. <laughs> and you were 12 at the time, right? Yeah, you, I was you, in junior high. Yeah, so I know there's some 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 gap in there from when they met, but I'd like to jump into that story and like uh, like <laughs> <laughs> how did like how does that even come up? You know, like like how do you even guys come out and just okay, I want you to go kill some rabbits. Can you talk about that story? Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. it so much. So, you know, my uh, like I said, he he grew up in Czechoslovakia where like they yeah. grow a lot of their food. You know, they butcher their own meat, whatever. Yeah. And so uh, at one point, we ended up moving out to Sacramento, right, because the barrier was very expensive, and it wasn't, like, the greatest place to raise kids. And um, we ended up getting accepted for this low-income program where if you build your own house, right, it offsets some of the cost. And that was, like, the only way they could afford a house back then. So they did it. And I remember that being a big part of my childhood, right, That's building cool. this house. Dude, it was really cool because yeah. I got to see everything from, like, yeah. digging for the foundation to framing to insulation, electrical, roufing. I mean, everything. you name it, I did, I did it all. I helped out with all of it. Building those skills early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, and so we had, like, a decent-sized yard. It wasn't huge, but it was decent enough. And, and so – when the house was done, a lot of my chores were like uh, a lot of our vegetables that we had out there. So we had like tomatoes, we had zucchini, we had squash, uh, we had all kinds of tr tr uh, like uh, fruit trees. But I dug all the irrigation for it. I dug all the holes for the tree. Like those are that's all I did. Like on when I came home from school and on my weekends was do chores in the backyard because mm -hmm. we had basically like a small little farm. Right. <laughs> and so when we were done, do we even had like a greenhouse? We had like a little greenhouse. We had a compost pile. Uh, and so at one point he was like, all right, cool. We got all our vegetables and stuff. And now we need our meat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, in, you know, in, in, in Czech, we used to eat rabbits a lot. He's like, it's, it's really good eating. It's lean meat. It's healthy for you. It's cheap to, to raise. 
And so I remember we would go to like these fairs where they had like animals, like all these farm animals, and we would check out all these different types of rabbits. And then when he saw he saw the big California rabbits, he's like, "This is it." I wonder if they were the jackrabbits. No, no, they're big California. They're called California rabbits. Oh, they're called California rabbits. Yeah, they're big. They're white and black. Learn something new every day. Yeah, huh. they're called California rabbits. And so he's like, "So you bought them at like." They're small, or they're like uh, ready to yeah. Go? I think we we bought them smaller. Okay, so we had to raise them for a little bit, right? We had okay. uh, like a male and then a few females, and then that was my my other chore was to to raise these little rabbits, you know. Um, and then when they they came of age, my stepdad was like, "Hey, you're gonna butcher these rabbits, right? You're gonna skin them, butcher them, and you're gonna put them in the freezer." So that was that was another chore of mine that I had on the weekends, and and like I said, I was like 12 years old at the time. I'd gone fishing before, but I mean, I'd never been hunting. I'd never killed anything. Like, yeah. And so he was just like, all right, you got to kill this rabbit. And I was just like, I don't know how to kill a rabbit. He's like, we'll figure it out. He's like, call me when it's, when, when you're done and I'll come back and I'll teach you how to skin it. Right. Oh. And gut it and all this other stuff. And I was like, 12 years old, 12 years old, dude. 12 years old. Man. But I already know my dad's hard. Right. Yeah. So I can't let him down. He's not already, he's, no. he's already got a name for me for being a pansy. You know, it's it's Fifina, <laughs> aka Fifina. I forgot yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> so that was his nickname for me, which in Czech is weak. <laughs> yeah, we won't say what it is here. I guess you know. Look it up. Yeah, look it up. But we'll say it's, we'll Czech, say it's, it's pansy. Czech. Yeah, pansy. pansy's like a nice word for there it. There you go. Right? Perfect. I so, like it. um, so of course I didn't want him calling me a pansy again or Fifina. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well I got to figure it out. So I got the first rabbit, and I'm just like. All right, well, the easiest way I can think about killing it is I guess I'm just going to drown it. <laughs> so I grab a bucket of water. I fill oh it up. God. I grab this rabbit, and I'm, like, holding it underwater. And, bro, it takes a long time. <laughs> like, it took forever. And, you know, I'm a kid, dude. And so oh, this yeah. rabbit is, like, wiggling all over the place, and, and, and I'm, like, holding it down. And I'm just like, oh, my God, please just die already. <laughs> this is the most miserable experience ever. Oh like, I'm God. crying at this point, bro. Like, I got tears and snot and just, like, and finally the rabbit freaking dies. And so I go get my dad. He teaches me how to skin the rabbit, you know, take the guts out, get ready, put it in the freezer. And he's like, okay, cool. All right, let me know when the next one is, and I'll teach you how to do it again. And I'm like, dude, I had no idea what you just did. I'm not paying attention to anything you just did right now because I'm freaking traumatized, Processing bro. what happened. Oh, yeah, exactly. I'm still processing me killing that rabbit. And so he's like, oh, you got to do it again. And I was just like, all right. So I was like, you know what? This drowning thing, it just took way too long. It was way too traumatic for me. I got to find a quicker, more efficient way. Oh, God. So the next one, I grabbed it, and I grabbed a two-by-four, and I kind of half-assed it, right? I kind of half-assed hit it. And so now the rabbit's, like, shrieking, dude. It's shrieking. Now I'm freaking out because it's it's wiggling all over the place, and I've got it by its two hind legs. And so now I'm like really scared. Now I'm scared. I've got adrenaline. So I just start whacking it, just whacking it, whacking it. And finally he dies. Same thing, dude. I'm freaking crying. I'm traumatized. I go grab my dad. He shows me how to skin that rabbit. And then he's like, hey, you got this from here? Like, do you know how to skin it now? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And so on the third rabbit, you know, I've talked about this before. It's the third rabbit is where I had my epiphany. And uh, uh I have this rabbit in front of me. I've got the two by four. And in my head, I'm just like, you know what, dude? I got to go in 100% or this is not going to work, right? If I half-ass it again, I'm going to go through what I just went through. And I'm like, I'm just going to commit. I'm going to 100% commit to just hitting this rabbit as hard as I freaking possibly can. And so I just took a big deep breath and just whacked the hell out of that thing. And it died in one shot. And I was like, 
this is it. Yeah. And so ever since then, every anytime I've been scared of doing something, I just kind of just double down on it, and I just tell myself I got 100% commit. And there were times like we're in the teams, right, in the SEAL teams. I did things that I was a little bit scared of. Like you may not know this, but I was actually scared of jumping. I do not like jumping. So in my head, I'm not kidding you, bro. I'm having like a monologue in my head like just commit. You got to commit, yeah. right? Because if you kind of half-ass jump out, you can hurt yourself. You can hurt the person behind you because you're all jumping one right after the other. Uh-huh. You have to be really close to each other because as soon as you step out, there's going to be a huge separation. So that's what I'd be telling myself in my head. like Just commit, just commit, just commit. That's so true, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to, if you're, like you said, if you're scared of something or maybe something, trying something new, like yeah. you got to go after it. 100%. Right? You got 100% commit because if not, it's just going to be harder. It's going to yeah. take longer. Yeah, and I think right. you're actually going to fail or someone can get yeah. hurt, right, if you kind of, if you don't do it 100% and you're kind of just like, well, let's just see what happens. Yeah. So, so true, man. So you, still, you still use that lesson of 100% commit, just double down, get after it today. Yeah. You still, yeah. still, still something to use. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not too many things nowadays that I do that I'm scared of, but definitely things that I do out of my comfort zone. So now it's kind of like that. If yeah. I'm uncomfortable yeah, doing something, something, okay, cool, I'm going to double down on it. I'm not good at something, okay, well, I'm going to try to be good, at least, you know, decently proficient at it and i'm gonna yeah. do that by doubling down and committing to it so. i got a question you ever tell your boy i know you have a son uh, you ever tell your boy that story uh so he heard it for the first time when he heard jocko's podcast oh dude but i don't think i'd ever told him that story <laughs> i'm wondering what he's thinking because you know he's, he's 15 right yeah he's 15 15 so i mean you could imagine what he's thinking dude, <laughs> he's I, don't, like, I don't know what dad that tells, kid thinking, man. Tells, dad tells me to go out and kill a rabbit i don't know what i tell him yeah. You're going to tell him 100% commit if you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I honestly so don't know what he thinks about it. He tries to act all cool around me, so. What's, yeah. what's the traditional, what's the preparation on that? We'll get off that rabbit, but. Uh, Let's get off that rabbit already. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about the uh, the baby chick. We missed that Oh, piece. the fuel. Yeah, yeah, the fuel. In Guatemala. In Guatemala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Let's go back when you <laughs> when you were a little kid, just just really quick. I think it's a cool story yes, about you growing so, up in Guatemala. Not too many people fill their gas tank up all the way. Yeah. Um, so if you got a full tank of gas, you would get a little baby chick. And so, you know, my mom would, when she when we still lived over there, she would, you know, in the mornings go get gas, we'd get the baby chick, and then she would drop me off at my grandma's house when I and my mom would go to work. So I would, you know, once a week or so, I would come home to my grandma's house holding a baby chick. So I had all kinds of chickens and chicks all in the back. and Probably tons of them. Tons of them, dude. <laughs> you don't have any livestock now, do you? Just traumatized from yeah i'm good dude my wife if you left it up to my wife no no chick-fil-a if you left it up to my wife we would have a farm it's like a a fight every single day she wants like uh she's really into like these miniature horses and miniature cows i don't know if you've seen those on instagram i've seen the miniature horses so she i haven't said, seen the miniature cows. oh bro really these, they got these miniature cows too and so she sends them she sends them to me on on the instagram and so now my feed is like all these like miniature dwarf animals, <laughs> and, and, and oh, and these fluffy chickens. Those are her. her three oh, those things. are the weird looking oh, ones. So you you've seen those? Yeah, Dude, those are ugly. Those are weird looking. Yeah, they're super ugly, right? Yeah. She thinks she thinks they're 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 That's cute. Hilarious. I'm just like those things are hideous. Yeah. That's hilarious. Bad thing about animals is they're twenty four seven. Exactly. They don't take no days off. Yeah, I told her I'm not taking care of those animals if you, if you do get them. Just know that. Well, I got one more question about a rabbit though, really quick. So do you have a rabbit's foot? Lucky rabbit's foot? I don't. <laughs> sure you had one. I missed that boat. Sorry, Paul. That's um, good. The the um let's get out. So that's about twelve years old. Yeah, yeah. What what about pre I don't know, teenage years, fifteen, sixteen, how how'd that go for you? Uh not well. <laughs> I was a moron. Um 
you know, my, my stepdad and I, the older I got, the more friction there was between us, right? Because mm-hmm. he was extremely strict. And, you know, I'm a teenager, dude. Like, I, I want to kind of start doing my own thing. And I want to hang out with friends. I want to do other things. And I just wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Like, I wasn't allowed to hang out with other kids. I wasn't allowed to play any sports at school just because my life revolved around doing schoolwork and doing chores, right? That's kind of kind of how I grew up, too. You're a good student, right? Yeah, I was a good student. I wasn't a troublemaker. I read, well, that was, you know, all we were allowed to do. Like, we had a TV. Honestly, actually, for a long time in my childhood, we didn't have a TV. So we didn't watch a lot of TV. And even when we did get one, it was very limited. Like, my parents would be like, oh, okay, you can watch, like, an hour of TV. Right? And it was was the only things I was allowed to watch were, like, like National Geographic. So I was really into animals growing up, like sharks and, and lions and all those animals because that's all I was allowed to watch and then I read Reader's Digest cover to cover as a kid (laughs) (laughs) but you know what man it it helped me out a lot dude I learned a lot my my English um obviously I learned my English through through reading and um, watching tv every now and then because I didn't know how to speak English when I first came to the states yeah wow so you learned all that on your own well yeah through reading through reading just doing it 100% committed yeah, so for a kid, I was pretty well spoken, you know, because I was reading like adult stuff. Because it's not like it's not like they bought me like Curious George or anything like that. It was like, oh, you want to read? Here's National Geographic and Reader's Digest. <laughs> was that Young and the Restless? <laughs> read, in there? read that, you know. <laughs> so you said it was a little bit rough for you. Uh, yeah, my teenage years were a little yeah, bit a little rough. rough. Um, I started rebelling, you know, right around age 15, 14, 15 or so. Mm-hmm. Kind of started hanging around the wrong crowd. And got in a little bit of trouble. Um, and my my dad at this time became law enforcement. Uh, he was a, a California Highway Patrol. So here I am, you know, getting locked up in juvie, and he's he's a highway patrolman. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, and, and, you know, when I – and I, I wish I could say I was, like, scared straight. And I wasn't, I wasn't. Like, it was weird, right? Because once I got out of juvenile hall, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do that. Like, that's that's not the way I want to live. Right. Where you have like you're locked up in this in this cell for all this time. You get like your one hour to go out and play some basketball. And it was just miserable to me. It was miserable. And so I was like, well, I don't want to be here. It didn't necessarily scare me either, though, because I was like, uh, that's not so bad. Right. Because right. um, I actually was a tough kid just because of the way my my dad raised me. Right. And I was super strong just because all the functional strength that I'd done. And uh, <laughs> One of the funny things that sometimes I, I talk about in juvie, we used to not get, like, the best food. But but for lunch, you get peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But, man, you know, when you're a teenage boy, you're growing. So I used to, like, arm wrestle for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> and, bro, like, you know, I'm not, one of, like, a, one of the bigger kids, but I was definitely strong. So I would I would beat everybody at arm wrestling. I would get all kinds of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches until everybody caught on. They're like, yeah, don't arm wrestle. Peanut butter. <laughs> you know, you're going to lose your you're sandwich. Gonna you're going to go hungry for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so it wasn't like I was scared. So when I when yeah. I got out of juvie, I was like, all right, I'm not going to commit crimes anymore. But at the same time, like I wasn't scared to go back, right? And I was on probation. So basically any small thing you did is like automatic 10 days, you go back. So I was kind of just not scared to break my parents' rules. So they you. would put me to sleep. Dude, my bedtime was 8 o'clock, bro, for like a 16-year-old. <laughs> dude, That's my you, bedtime dude, now. you had it rough. Yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, say they, they were, were they ultra were strict. strict, they were ultra strict. And so, but at the time I was like, cool. I got caught on to the game. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go to sleep at eight o'clock. And they went to sleep early too, like maybe nine at the latest. So I would just wait for them to go to sleep. I'd sneak out of the house. Dude, I'd party. I'm out. I'd party all night. 
And um, where I ended up making my big fatal mistake was this when cell phones first came out. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I was like, oh, that's you had a cell phone? Was it flip? No, no, no. I didn't have a cell phone. My my oh. dad had a cell phone. But he, this is so this is where I'm getting at. This is where I went flip? wrong. The flip phone. Oh, yeah. The, the old Motorola. Flip, the old Motorola flip. Yep, old oh. Motorola flip phone. Yeah, come and I was on. like, you know what? That thing's kind of cool, man. I think oh, yeah. I'm going to take that out with me. <laughs> so I wait for my parents to go to sleep. I would sneak out. And for whatever reason, my dad would charge the, the cell phone in the in the living room. Right, because it was like one cell phone per household. <laughs> yeah. So I would go out there, I'd grab the cell phone, then I'd sneak out, and I was like big man on campus, right? Just oh, calling yeah. everybody on my cell phone because I didn't know how it worked. Oh no, this is when they charge you by the minute. Oh, dude, it's so expensive. it was extremely expensive. Expensive. Oh, yeah. So when the first bill came out, my stepdad was like, "Toast, you're done." The, yeah, and obviously, you you know, it's calls are getting made like at midnight, <laughs> one in the morning, <laughs> and so he knew it was me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just got to the point where it was just so much friction between him and I. And I just kept getting in trouble. And then my probation officer was like, dude, we're just going to lock you up to your 18 if you keep making trouble. Oh, my God. And then um, I had a, a teacher of mine. He was like my, it was called like, uh, I forget what the class was called. I think it was like life skills or something like that. Basically, right? They teach you how to like balance a checkbook, okay. like do your taxes, oh, yeah. stuff like that. And so him and I had a pretty good relationship and, you know, I forget how it came about that he found out all about all of this. Maybe it was because I had to turn in a progress report every week to all my teachers for my probationary, for my probation officer. And then I was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to go away till I'm 18 or whatever. And then he asked my probation officer or the judge, I forget, he's like, why doesn't he just move in with me? And he's like, well, you can't do that. Like you would, you would have to officially adopt him. And he did. He went through the process, and I was officially, he was officially my guardian. And so for my senior year of high school, I lived with him. And it was it was different and refreshing, right? Because he was so chill, <laughs> you know? But but here's, here's the thing. Like, I was so afraid to let him down because of the new freedom that he gave. Like, he would, dude, he would let me go wherever I wanted to as long as I told him where I was going and when I was going to come back. Yeah. And I was like, cool. And, and I was very careful of... Uh, to not take advantage of it. Like I would make sure to come back not very late. And dude, I didn't give him a peep the whole time I was there. It's interesting. I'm going to stop you right there for a second. But me and me and Paul were kind of going back and forth on this topic before you got here. And we actually disagree on it. And we wanted to dive into a little bit with you on it. Um, So do you think, do you think your parents at the time were kind of letting you learn your lesson the hard way? Like, Kind of not letting you fail, but letting you live and kind of make those mistakes so that you would learn from them. I mean, here you are, hardworking, disciplined. I mean, they, they really gave you a, a road, a path to, I mean, success, right? You're, you're smart, right? At what point, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Sure. You know, whatever, however you feel. But at the end of the day, do you think they did that to, to kind of mold you? In a sense. Listen. Because they kind of, they basically wrote, they said, yeah, take them, right? Well, what do you think? they they said take them because they were at their wits end, right? And I and I had told, uh, listen, at this point, I wasn't scared of my stepdad anymore. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I I told him straight up, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna do whatever I want, whenever I want. I don't, dude. Looking back, I was like, man, I was a terrible kid. Yeah. I told him straight up, like, hey, listen, I'm not scared of you anymore. I'm gonna do whatever I want when I want. I was like, you gotta go to sleep sometime, <laughs> right? So unless you're gonna <laughs> lock up the doors and put some bars on the window, I'm gonna go out and do whatever I want. Yeah. I'm not gonna. Because was the influence of your friends? 
Oh, yeah, for sure. It was influence of my friends. But then here's the thing, dude. This is what I told Jocko. is like my punishments were so severe that there was no light at the end of the tunnel. So when there's right. no hope, right, people kind of get bold. It's like, you know what? What do I have to lose? And that was honestly my 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 attitude. Is like, what do I have to lose? What am I going to get? Grounded some more. I'm already grounded till I'm 18. Right. Right. I'm right. already not allowed to do anything. So mm-hmm. wh- what am I going to lose? Nothing to lose. More chores. Yeah, exactly. I already do chores. Yeah. Who cares? I was hardened. He he made me. The thing is, what's funny is, I was a product of his, right? He made me that way. Yeah. He made me like super mentally tough, super hard. So it, unfortunately for him, it got to the point where I wasn't scared of him either anymore. Yeah. Um, and I just remember the look on his face, you know, when I said that. When I said that to him was when he was like, all right, I'm done. You can go. It. And then my mom, I remember, she's like, you know what? I did my job. She's like, you want to be a big man? Go for it. Yeah, and that was it. And that, that was, was it. I left home. I didn't. I didn't come back for a few years. I didn't talk to my parents for a few years. Um, I actually joined the navy and was in the navy for a couple of years before I finally spoke to my parents again. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, I guess you were right. Uh, it, it was I mean, hard. right? I mean, I think. Go ahead and make, make your comment, Paul. No, it's just I think we're kind of we're around the same age. Um, yeah. Group, and I think we all kind of had the same upbringing where it was hard. It was strict. It was disciplined, and there was a you're going to learn how to work hard. You're going to have a work ethic when you grow up, and then we were kind of confused on like how that path led you to juvenile. Like how that like we felt like your parents were strict enough that they would have stopped you, but maybe you were just being a little a little knucklehead, and, and you kind of just. Well, I was sneaking out at night. They didn't know I was. Right. I was well, there's, there's two in their heads. I'm sleeping in bed. That's true. And in, in, in my eyes, like there's two different leadership styles there. Right, you you move in with the, 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 your teacher, yeah. who you totally respected because he gave he treated you like an adult, right? Yeah. And then you had your parents, like, was just forcing it down, and like you were in trouble. It seemed like you were strict. I was wondering if there's a a tie in there to kind of find the balance between the two. Oh, you know 100%. what I mean? Like, there's there's two different styles there, parenting. Yeah. And you could you could tie it back to leadership too. So I, I guess that's sure. what I was kind of that's what I was debating with Paul was. I think that's two different leadership styles. Oh, but he was just saying you were a, a bad kid, <laughs> bad influence. Dude, actually, you know what? I grew up. I grew up as a very good kid, dude. Yeah, I that's good what I'm grades. Saying. I yeah. the, it was funny is like when I brought my my progress report to my teachers, they're like, "What's this for?" I was like, "I'm on probation." And they're like, "What?" All right, because I was a super respect. I mean, they raised me correctly. Right, I was a respectful kid. Yeah. And I was just hanging around the wrong crowd, and you know, broke the law at night, but. um yeah, it's absolutely two different leadership styles. And I'm I'm super grateful, actually, for the way I was raised because on one side, my parents gave me something that has served me very well, right? They made me super resilient. They made me very competent, extremely, like, mentally tough, right. disciplined, hardworking. And so all those things that they did for me, I, I acknowledge that. Right. I acknowledge that that's what made me who I was. Like, when I, when I left the house... There weren't a whole lot of things that I was like scared to do, right? Or scared to try because I was mentally tough and resilient because of everything. And then on the other hand, I had the teacher who then gave me like a different side, which was like, hey, you can make some decisions, right? Because at, at home, I wasn't able to make any decisions. Yeah, It was like, you do what I tell like you to. It's a dictatorship, right? And, and that's not good either. And so that's kind of the balance that I'm trying to find with my son. Whereas I felt like I was pretty strict with him growing up, but now that he's a, a, a teenager, I've definitely let go of the reins quite a bit, 
And my philosophy with him is like, hey, listen, son, you're going to have to learn how to make decisions, right? Because I don't want you to, t- I don't want to tell you what to do. And then all of a sudden you turn 18 and you have had zero experience, one, making decisions, and two, feeling the consequences for them. So I tell him like, listen, dude, we're, you're going to make mistakes, okay? Trust me, you're going to make mistakes as a teenager, and that's fine. Yeah. We'll deal with them. Listen, you're still going to have to pay the man. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I want you to learn that for every decision, if it's good or bad, there's consequences, good or bad. Very true. So I'm hoping that through that decision, you know, with all that small experience in a controlled environment, when he does turn 18 and he leaves the house or whatever age he turns when he leaves the house, he's got some experience realizing like, okay, I know how to make decisions. And I realize that making good decisions leads to good outcomes. I totally agree with you. And that's kind of the same in leadership. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You got to kind of, got to kind of set those boundaries and make some decisions and let our folks make those decisions. You know, as long as they don't, you know, hurt themselves or get in a you know, situation, yeah. um, it's it's making decisions. No, no one wants to work for a dictator. Yeah. No one no. wants to work for a dictator. No, absolutely But people not. love working for someone who gives them autonomy. Yeah. That listens. Like, that's priceless. Oh, yeah. Listens. Yeah. Yeah, so true. So your your um, your mentor, I would say, he's kind of your mentor. The, the teacher kind of helped you through when you're living with him, respected uh, him, kind of show you a different way of leadership. Yeah. Or how to grow up. Yeah, so he showed me like a different way that I think my parents just weren't able to just because they were both immigrants, mm-hmm. right? So they didn't know like how this country works, how the process, you know, how basically, you know, the process to being successful here in America. I got you. Because the expectation for them was like, hey, you move out and you start working, right? Go start working, whatever. We don't care what Go you make do. Money. Go make money, <laughs> but you can't live here, right? <laughs> and that was another thing too is like the it had been drilled into my head since I was little. Hey, you turn 18, you got to go. So I was like, well, might as well just leave early, right? Yeah. So that fear had already was already Sorry, gone yeah. too. I think maybe a lot of like teenagers these days, as they approach that age where they gotta move out, they're maybe a little bit scared. Whereas like I feel like I'd been conditioned since I was young with my stepdad, like, hey, when you're 18, you gotta go. So I've had that all throughout. So I was like, all right, well, I gotta go, I gotta go. I might as well just let's just get it over with. Yeah. Um, but I also wasn't scared because my mom told me something that I always carried with me. She's like, someone who has great work work ethic will never go hungry. You will never go hungry if you are the hardest worker wherever it is that you're at. And so I, I use that as like a badge of like protection, I guess, for lack of a better term. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be all right. Cause if, you know, if I work outwork everybody, if I work hard, I'll never go hungry. So I had that as my safety blanket, I guess. Yeah. It's good. Some good skills though there, man. Learning along the way, you know, yeah. raising chicks and <laughs> killing rabbits. Being a farmer, <laughs> Being a farmer. <laughs> so dope. No, it's good, man. I uh, so after the um, so after high school, there, what happened after high school? So you're 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 out now, graduated. Got yeah. Out. So I graduated, and like I said, this teacher showed me a different way. Yeah. He, you know, he's the first person actually in my life who was like, "Hey, so, you know, where are you going to go to college?" Yeah. What? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was my reaction. Like, what? Like, I'm jumping in the team. College. Dude, no. I, so I didn't know anything about that. I haven't even gotten really? there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I had heard what SEALs were. Uh, the first time I heard about them was I read a Reader's Digest article, and it was called, like, The Hardest School, and it talked about, you know, buds. Yeah. And back then, you know, I didn't – I was like, oh, cool. That sounds cool, but I didn't I didn't know who they were. And then the second time was another teacher of mine who was a pretty big influence on me. His name is Mr. Pryor. He, he passed away recently, but – just a phenomenal human being. He was like another one of my mentors yeah. in my teenage years. But he talked about Navy SEALs, you know, because he was in the Navy. He's an old Navy vet. There you go. Okay. Yeah, so he was always like, oh, Navy SEALs, they're so badass. He's like, 
he would tell me all these stories about them. And I was like, man, those guys spark that interest. Those yeah. guys sound cool. It, it kind of, it didn't, it didn't. Right. Cause he would tell me these stories and I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. But in my head, I'd never thought about the military being a path for me. I just never had. And so now I graduated high school. This teacher's like, you know, you got to go to college. And, um, he, you know, he's like, you could start with community college. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I took those like placement tests and I placed like extremely high. I placed like in the 95th percentile for English just because I read so much. Yeah. I read so much. And then uh, I took the math test and I was like basically in the moron section. <laughs> <laughs> we got a new category for you. Yeah. Like the well, super math ain't moron. No joke, dude. Well, here's the thing too. Especially is nowadays. like I finished a lot of my math in juvie. Okay. And, you know, I always like to joke that when I was in juvie, I was like the cream of the crap. Right. I was like the smartest person in the room, but it wasn't like saying a whole lot because none of the guys actually wanted to go to school where I was like, dude, I'll do anything to get out of this cell. Yeah. Who wants to go to school? They would ask you like, who wants to go to school? I was like, I'll go. Cause I just want to get out of here. Yeah. And so they're like, you can knock out your high school stuff here. So I started taking my algebra there, but algebra in there was like X plus Y or, you know, X plus five equals 10. What is X? And in my head, I'm like, dude, this algebra stuff's a joke. This is so easy. <laughs> I ain't never going to use and it. And so when I got out of juvie, I turned in my stuff, and I was like, oh, I've already knocked out algebra one and two. But it wasn't like real algebra. So when I got to college and I took that placement test, I'm like, what is this? Yeah. What are all these, like, letters here? <laughs> like, there's a lot more letters here than, than what I saw before. Yeah. So I was nowhere near prepared. So I started off at the really idiot level math, and I think I was in junior college for about two minutes. I was just bored, dude. Like, I'm like, I feel like I'm in high school, right? It was the same general ed classes, and I I just didn't feel like it was going to help me out in life. And plus, during the summer, I had worked construction. Okay. So I'd worked construction. You making money. I was making money. Exactly. And as a 17, because I graduated when I was 17, as a 17-year-old, I was working full-time, making good money. And so I was like, why am I why am I here in college when I go make money? Building houses? Or what uh, kind of construction? Yeah, exactly. Building, Building houses. houses. So I did concrete. Concrete. I started okay. off with concrete, so I would dig all the ditches and stuff for the oh, foundation. Yeah. You were set. Um, yeah. I was using a jackhammer. Like it was, it was hard work, dude. But yeah. I was used to it, yeah. so it wasn't anything for me. Right. Um, and then I realized, like, oh, you know what? If I get, if I work more, I can make more money. So I started working on the weekends. So I started working seven days a week, dude. I worked construction Monday through Friday, and I worked at Long's Drugs. I may be dating myself <laughs> with this. <laughs> Long's Drugs. I do. That's I can't school. even. That's old school. Yeah, that's yeah bro. That's like before Savons and yeah. all the rest. That's of why them. I said I might be dating myself with it. So I used to work at Long's Drugs CBS. on Saturdays and Sundays yeah. at the mall. And um, that was in the mall. In the it mall. was in the mall. There was a there was a Long's Drugs in the mall. Damn. And we had these like uh, we used to rent out VHS videos, right? Yes. And so on, on Saturday nights, like after I worked all day long, I would go pick out a video there because we we rented videos here at Long's Drugs. And one day I just picked out the movie Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen. And I watched it. I, I, I kid you not, man. People think I'm joking when I tell them this story. Okay, you are dating yourself. That's 1990, 90, that movie came out. So you must have watched it. Two well, or three I watched years later. it in 1998. Eight? Yeah, so it was an older movie at that 19, point. Yeah, I think it was yeah. 1990. Yeah, it's a little bit older movie. But like I said, I hadn't watched a whole lot of TV yeah. growing up. So all those movies were, were old for me. Oh, yeah. Um. So, yeah, so I watched that movie and I'm like, and that's where I put it together. I'm like, wait a minute. Those are the dudes that my teacher, Mr. Pryor, used to talk about. And I was like, dude, this looks pretty awesome. This looks badass. <laughs> so uh, I went I started. I went to the library to make sure that this was an actual profession, right? This was before Google. So I realized that it was. And 
I quit both of my jobs and I I signed up for the Navy, dude. Enlisted right then. Right then. And here's the crazy thing, bro. I didn't know how to swim. <laughs> so this is kind That's of how insane, I've always dude. been in my life, That's dude. Insane. I've always had this mentality, like, you know, if it's a good opportunity, I'm going to do it and I'll figure it out. And people brought it up, like, do you know how to swim? I'm like, I'll figure it out. We'll do it. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll make it work. It's a little more intense than figure <laughs> Yeah. It's not like swimming in a pool. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a lap at the Y. Well, I learned my lesson the hard way. I don't know if I told the story on the on the Jocko podcast. I don't know. Let's hear it. Let's though. go. Exclusive. Let's go. Exclusive. But, yeah. So, Hearing it here first. So I join up. <laughs> I, you know, I sign up for the Navy. And oh, I, boy. And um, no hesitation whatsoever. Seriously, just from watching a movie. Like, I watch this movie. I'm like, that's awesome. And I'm going to go do that. Just completely changed my life. <laughs> it's a life. good movie, though. It was a good movie, especially in the late 1990s. It's <laughs> it was super good. cheesy now. but Super cheesy. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so I show up to boot camp, you know, and then they're like, all right, who wants to try out? And I was just, you know, I raised my hand and and then we go in the pool and that's when I realized I didn't know how to swim very well. <laughs> like, listen, I can get from point A to point B, right? Because we used to actually go to lakes quite a bit okay. growing up. It's Northern California. There's a bunch of beautiful lakes and rivers out there. And we used to go fishing. We used to go to lakes. So I could like kind of doggy paddle my way from point A to point B, but it wasn't anywhere near what I needed to be for the time. And so I failed the first time by a long shot. And then uh, I was pretty disappointed. I was really like, uh, I had a lot of anxiety at that point because I was like, crap. Like, I was all in on this Navy SEAL thing. And now I'm going to go to the regular Navy. I'm going to be on a ship. Not that there's anything Easy, against it. Carlos. There's nothing against it, brother. <laughs> but it's just not what I wanted to do. Right? Yeah, so, um, were you on a ship? Come on, baby. Ben's folding tight on well, let's, let's hear it. No, it's not my story. <laughs> it's not your story. My, my, my story's not as cool as Carl's. <laughs> so, anyways, so my 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 RDC, they call it, right, which would be kind recruit of like division your drill. Yeah. yeah, recruit division commander is like your drill sergeant, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she she really really liked me. Like I was what's called her yeoman, which is kind of like your your administrative aide or whatever. Messenger okay. boy. What's that? A little messenger boy. Basically, yeah. And what's funny is she picked me out simply because the first day of boot camp. She was like going down the line. She's like, tell me the sailor's creed. creed. Yeah. She's like, tell me the sailor's creed. And the first guy would not get it. And the second guy didn't get it. And bro, listen, there's one thing I'd say about my parents. They made me very squared away. I had that thing memorized. They told me to memorize it. So I memorized I it. Memorize it yeah. So she got to me and I, I said it perfectly. And she's like, you're my new yeoman. And so from that point on, I was your yeoman. So she really liked me. And then I, she let me try out one more time. She's like, listen, I'm going to give you another shot. I'll let you go try out. Because they had to break you away from, from the division to let you go take this test. All right. So I go and I do it the second time, and I don't know why I thought the the, the result was going to be a difference. It's not like I learned that. It's not like you practice in boot camp. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you have any time to practice whatsoever. Yeah. So as your skivvies. So as we're in the pool, you know. But here's the thing, bro. Everybody wants to be a seal. So there's like 50 freaking people in that pool. It's a small pool, and I'm thinking in my head, there's no way they can keep track of everybody. <laughs> so I'm listening to the times, and I'm like, oh crud, I'm not gonna make it again. So I just it. I just stood up. And I was like, I'm done. And then, you know, the SEAL, the SEAL uh, motivator, who's a SEAL who, who gives you the test, he was like, all right, get out, get ready for push-ups and pull-ups and everything else. And I was like, done. whoa, it worked. So I was like, cool. So I got out. And, uh, you know, I could do everything else. Yeah. I could do push-ups forever, pull-ups forever. I could do sit-ups forever. I could run. And um, I just couldn't swim. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's so how I it. actually passed my test. Thank you. Hey, sometimes, hey, use your advantage, right? I yeah. guess sometimes. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> That's right. But here's the thing, dude. After that, I did find somebody who was, like, no kidding, like uh, uh, a Division One swimmer in college. And I told him, I'm like, bro, I need you to teach me how to swim. 
He's like, how'd you pass the test? Don't worry about it. I was like, I cheated. I was like, but I'm not going to be able to cheat in the ocean, so I need you to teach me. Yeah. So he taught me how to swim, and I was in the pool like any chance I got from that point on. Just trained. Yeah. Got it done. That's awesome, man. So what, what year is this? This is uh, 1999. 99, joined the Navy, and you're corpsman? Is that the Yeah, so term? I became a corpsman. That was my rate. That was um, your rate? And a corpsman, that's a medic, right? It's a medic in the medic. Navy. Yeah. Excuse me, I'm... Kind of not familiar with these terms. You're doing good, man. I like <laughs> I'm going for it, buddy. I'm I'm elbows in the paint for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of your deployments there, um, if we could. Sure. Go with that. Um, talk about being a uh, your point man, right? So yeah, so well. I actually ended up going to the Marines first. Um, okay. We had a couple hiccups actually. It's a it's a long story. Long story short, listen, I wasn't a citizen, so I couldn't go to the SEAL teams. And two, they had this rule where if you wanted to go to the SEAL teams and be a medic. Mm-hmm. You had to actually go with the Marines first and be a medic. Okay. There. So, so I ended up going to the Marines as a medic. I did a couple deployments there, super uneventful. And then that's how I finally ended up making my way to BUDS in 2002. Okay. So, how was that experience? Gotta it, was, be... it was good, dude. Like, I'll be honest with you, my time with the Marines really, really prepared me for it. Like, I was more than ready yeah. to go through BUDS. Yeah, so I was with a, a Marine recon unit when I was with the Marines. So I had already done a lot of the stuff. Like okay. I had already swum in and out of the ocean with all my gear, right, with a 100-pound rucksack. You know, I had done what's called over the beaches, right, where it's basically they drop you off in the ocean and you're swimming in with all your gear, but you're kind of changing out, like, in the water, in the surf zone before you come out, right? So you come out with your weapon point. And okay. that's kind of like a tough skill to learn. So Dude, that's gotta be tough. So yeah, cause the waves are hitting you. You've got this hundred pound ruck pulling at you. You're trying to take your fins off, but you're still trying to get your rifle. It's just like a lot of things going on. And so that was one of the things that a lot of guys struggle with. And by that time, dude, I had done like hundreds of those. So I was ready by the time I got to buds. Hell week for me was a diff- it was a learning experience. Um, I always talk about a couple big epiphanies that I had during Hell Week. The first one being like, you know, hey, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, time. right? Because if you look at it from the outside in, you're like, oh, I'm going to go five and a half days with two hours of sleep. That could be extremely overwhelming. Oh, man, I can't right? imagine that. But what's crazy is I kind of had like some flashbacks to my childhood, believe it or not. Because my dad would give me, like, these enormous projects, dude. I mean enormous. Like, one of them was like, hey, you're going to paint the entire house. And I'm a kid, dude. So I'm like, can you tell, imagine telling a kid, hey, you're going to paint the house. <laughs> wax on. Wax on. Basically. So I'm sitting there, like, super overwhelmed. And I remember, oh, yeah. so when he would give me some of these projects, like, dude, I remember, like, sometimes I'd be at the brink of tears as a kid. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm never going to finish this. But then I would finish it. And I'll be like, well, I guess I'll just start somewhere. And that's how I started, right? I guess I'll just Slow start in this time. corner, right? I got nothing else to do. It's not like I can play with my friends. So I would just start. And and that's where I actually learned to just just start. Start yeah. somewhere, take it in small bites, right? I'll be like, oh, let's say, for example, the house. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint like this little portion right here today. Yeah. And then tomorrow I'll get to this portion. And then tomorrow I'll do this portion. And when I was done, I remember I would look back at my work and I'd be really proud of myself because yeah. I saw the fruits of my labor. Right. But then I also gained a lot of confidence. So every time he would give me one of these huge projects, right, and I would complete it, this project that I, in my head, I would feel like is impossible, and then I would do it, I'd be like, oh, I did it. And so during Hell Week, I kind of had those flashbacks, like, okay, you know, I've had this feeling of being overwhelmed before, but you know what? I'm just going to take it one step at a time. 
I'm just going to make it to dinner. If I can make it to dinner, I'll be fine. Okay, cool. I made it to dinner. I'm going to make it to Midrats, which is the meal they yeah, give you in the middle of the night. Time. And then my next goal is like, okay, I got to make it to breakfast. And that's, and that's yeah. how I did Hell Week. You know, one step at a time. It wasn't as truly overwhelming. And then the second big epiphany that I had during Hell Week was I realized that when I was like the motivator, right? Because at one point our boat crew leader quit and, you know, it's like attrition. And I ended up being like the boat crew leader. So I'm like, oh, crap. Like everybody like, else is quit. One of these things you're in charge now. Yeah, right? Yeah. You're, you're in a leadership uh, position because of attrition. <laughs> so now I'm a boat crew leader. So and enlisted. I'm, and typically that's a O job, correct? Yeah, our O quit. Yeah, our O quit. So, and the O um, is the, o the officer. officer. Sorry. Oh, yeah. You. So you have officer and enlisted. So okay. as an just E4, for our listeners and for yeah. myself. No, you know you're right. <laughs> I, I'm gonna try to do a better job because actually I did. I've I've done a terrible job on other podcasts. Like I just start throwing acronyms out there. I got a no, question. It's fine. Yeah. Just as long as we back it up with what it is, that'd be cool. Hold, hold the spot real quick. I want a question yeah. for Carlos. Uh, yeah. If you would have stayed detached to the Marine uh, Recon as a FMF as as a, um, a corpsman for the Marines. If that stayed to your career, would you have regret? Would there be that void of of not finishing what you set out to do? Would you with the story? Be, obviously, the story would be different, but could you have lived fru- a fruitful life like that? Yeah, absolutely. I love those guys. Like the leadership that I had when I was at First Recon Battalion was amazing. Like I really respected the heck out of those guys, and they were super. They were they were big mentors for me. However, I still had that in my Heart, like I want to, I can't, this is what I came here to do and I want to do it. Yeah. And I didn't want to look back and have regrets. I got you. Yeah. Thank you. I think now, looking back, I'm 100% glad I did it and I would yeah. do the exact same thing over again. Yeah. I, th- I think now, and we'll go to the age again. I reflect on that time of my life more now than, than I realized what was going through at that time of my life. And I'm learning lessons now from that period of my life. So, and I know that regret because I have some regrets uh, of, of my time. It's, it's not it's not uh, a topic of conversation today, but um, I, I can imagine you had that dream and you're set on it, and whether it was the you couldn't pass the swim, whether it was your citizenship, whatever the case may have been, I feel like that could have been um, a, a big big hiccup. No, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, and you and you made a good point too there. Um, you know how to eat an elephant? That was huge. Like one one bite at a time. Yeah, right. One piece at a time, and I could relate to your stories because man, as a kid. Have you ever scraped paint off of a fascia or a house? Oh, yeah. Dude, that was like, that was my job as a kid. You know, me and my brothers, my dad would be like, okay, start scraping. And these houses were old, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and you're scraping forever. I mean, it's getting all over you, you know? Oh, yeah. And it just seemed like, but but you're, but to point, like, when you got done, you felt good about it. Yeah, you And look- I think we're losing that, that hard work a little bit now. You know, like, it's going to take some time. Not Not everything's instant gratification where you can just, open it up and there you go everything's great you know it's i think it's you gotta gotta learn those skills and you learned them too man that's just awesome yeah for sure so dope um i don't know if we got about during buds though there was a there was a comment you made that i wanted to talk about i know me and paul had a good conversation about being a gray man (laughs) what is in buds i mean what is what does that mean buds being the gray man is basically no one knows who you are right so when i showed up to buds that was that was like the thing to be Cause when I showed up to buds, I was ready. Like I was physically ready and, and I was like, all right, I don't want to do too well. Right. Cause I don't want them to know who I am. And obviously I don't want to suck. So why don't you want them to know that you want, cause that's where I have a, a, a kind of a question. Why don't you want to do well? Preface. We went on for this about half an hour. Oh yeah. We, we went back and forth for sure. Um, 
Because in my eyes, like, you would think you'd want to excel, and the only way you do that would, would get after it. And I think it's just because that's what I was told. Like, that was the way to be successful the in Ludge, right? Okay. It's like, hey, you know, don't try to be special. Just, just roll through. This. Just be the great man. If they don't know who you are, that's awesome. Okay. So I was like, okay, cool. That's what I'm going to do. Well, unfortunately, that was not a, that was not an option <laughs> Let's hear for that me. story. <laughs> you want to hear that story? I love this story. I'd love this story. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so when I first showed up to Bud's, right, you before you class up, they have you standing watch. So basically, you're like a guard at what we call a quarter deck, which is the entrance to a command, right? Okay. So, so when we first started, you know, I would be the quarter deck watch for the the buds quarter deck. So the entrance to buds, which is the selection process, is the school, right? The selection process to get into the SEAL teams. That's what the school is called. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we classed up in January sometime. And so one of my buddies was like, hey, you know, like, let's go out one last time before we class up. Because I, I, I was I was very adamant about like, hey, once I start buds, I'm not going out anymore. I'm not going out until I graduate because I am committed to this. Right. Um, and so he's like, one last time. I was like, all right, this is it, dude. This is the last time I go out before we start classing up or whatever. So he went out and he ended up meeting some girl. And, um, you know, they hit it off and she had a friend. And I could tell that the friend was into me. Uh, I was not into her. <laughs> and I had a girlfriend at the time, right? So I was like, oh, I'm not interested, whatever. And then this guy was like, bro, I need you to wingman me. I need you to, like, entertain her friend because, her, her, you know, her friend's kind of like, she's kind of messing up my game a bit because you're not paying her any attention. And I was like, all right, dude, I'll keep her busy, but, you know, whatever. So then we, we, you know, the, the the bar is about to close down. He's like, dude, they want us to come back to their place. And he's like, we, we you got to come with me. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I don't want to do it, man. It's like, I'm not into her. Yeah. And um, long story short, he he does talk me into it. And when we get to their house, I um, I notice on the girl's car she has like a first recon battalion sticker on there. And I I recognize it obviously because that was my command. Right. And I was like, hey, where'd you get that sticker from? And she's like, my husband is. I was like, oh, <laughs> nope. That's a hard no for me. I got to go. Oh, I got to go. Yeah. So I told my buddy, I'm like, hey, bro. like, <laughs> and, and inside, I was kind of like, great. This is my out, right? Because I really didn't want to be yeah. there anymore. I just wanted to go back and get some sleep, honestly. Because right. I wasn't a big partier to begin with. I really wasn't. And so um, I was like, cool, this is my out. I'm like, bro, we can't do this. You know, she's she's obviously married. I was like, something tells me that the girl you're talking to is probably married, right? Because they're probably doing these things as, as you know, <laughs> the radio, oh, yeah. they're partners oh, yeah. in crime. And um, so anyway, so we go back. And now it's Monday morning. We, we still haven't classed up yet, by the way. So it's Monday morning. I'm at the Bud's quarter deck, with standing, standing watch. And when and you say classed up, what is that? that so means? we haven't started Bud's yet. Okay, I haven't started Bud's. Yeah. Okay. So when you get your orders, right, you show up to the command, mm-hmm. but you don't actually start the school for like another okay, month or it. so. So you're right. just kind of there waiting just to- waiting. St- yeah, classing up means you start actually like day one. All right. So I'm standing watch, and I get a phone call from the barracks, you know, which it's called 618. So 618 is the barracks where, where we sleep, the Bud's candidates sleep. Okay. And it was a buddy of mine. He was like, hey, dude, there's like- there's some Marine here to see you. And I was like, and in my head, I didn't even think about it, dude. I was just like, oh, cool. It was one of my buddies, right? One of my Marines. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, ask him what his name is. 
And he's like, hey, bro, what's your name? And then he's like, he doesn't need to effing know my name. He slept with my wife. And I was like, whoa. I was like, no, I didn't. And then he's like, I'm going to kill him. I want to talk to him right now. And I was like, dude, I'm on watch. Tell him that I get off at noon because I had watched from 8 to noon. I was like, tell him I get off at noon. And if he wants to chat, we can chat. We can you know, talk about it. But, I, I mean, if you want, just tell him I, I didn't sleep with his wife. Yeah. And um, But this guy's, like, going on. I can hear him in the background just yelling. <laughs> You're like, and he on. won't give up, dude. Oh, no. He won't give up. So finally, I'm like, fine. Tell him to come up here to to the Bud's quarter deck, and we can chat. We can talk here, I guess. And so he's like, dude, he's <laughs> headed over there. And my buddy's like, dude, he's huge. And I was like, great, you know. So I'm sitting there at the quarter deck. I'm waiting for this marine to show up. And then the guy that I was with, he was like, dude, you need to tell one of the instructors because. If you get in a fight on the quarterdeck, you're probably going to get kicked out before you even start. The quarterdeck is like official business. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like the, the turnovers there, like there's yeah. paperwork. It's, it's like, like if you go into a front, uh, if you go into a company, like a lobby or something. It's the lobby that okay. you walk into right when you walk into that building. Oh man, that's it's what the, that's what down. a quarterdeck is. Yeah, it's going down. You're dressed up, your boots are shine, yeah. everything. You're, oh god. Yep. I mean, you got a, got a flashlight, probably full uniform. <laughs> So are you rolling your sleeves up or what? Like, are you- No, dude. So now I'm just like, I thought I was going to be able to talk my way out of it, you know? So yeah. I was like, all right, well, obviously I didn't do anything. So I, in my head, I'm like, I'm going to be able to talk my way out talk of this it. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so then he tells me that and I'm like, dude, you're probably right. And he's like, you need to tell the OOD. The OOD is called the officer of the day, right? That's what it's called? Deck day. Whatever. Officer deck, yeah. Dude, we use so many acronyms. I don't even know what they stand for. I only know one acronym. Oil. O-I-L. I know it's terrible. Wait, what? Don't, don't you? I only know one acronym: O I L. O I C. O I L. I don't get it. Oil. It's not an acronym. It's just three letters that I combine to make a word. Man. Don't you have a a button to push over there? No, no, no laugh. No laugh. Cr- crickets. I got a cricket button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry. So I go. So the, there's officer of the, officer there's of the, the officer of the deck who's like yeah. an actual instructor who's in charge just for that day. Mm-hmm. The officer of the deck for that day just by pure chance, happened to be a first phase instructor. Mm. So I have to go to the first phase office. I ring the bell, you know, because I got to talk to instructor. I was like, hey, you know, HM3 Bendez here to see instructor so-and-so. And they called me in the entire first phase staff. Is like, oh, my God. Coffee. <laughs> this is getting They're good. all in there, dude. This is getting And good. so they're like drop turd, you know. So yeah. I'm in the push-up position, like in full dress blues. They're like, what do you want? And I just, like, blurted it out. I'm like, some Marines coming over here to kick my ass. <laughs> and they're like, what'd you do? And then one of them was like, did you sleep with this old lady or something? <laughs> and I was like, no, but he thinks I did. And then he's like, what is this Marine thinking he'd come over here to start some stuff? He's like, let's go over there. So the entire first phase staff, like, gets up, and they walk over to the quarterdeck. And these dudes are all jacked, I bet. Dude, they're enormous, yeah. man. And I think they place them in that position on purpose, right? These two, these dudes are all like six two and up, just oh, yeah. jacked out of their minds. One of yeah. them was like a, a linebacker for Arizona State, like just <laughs> before he came into the team, just enormous human beings. And uh, and so I'm sitting there now. I'm feeling good. I was like, yeah, come over here. You know, <laughs> I got I got some backup. Got some backup. Yeah. And so we're sitting there, we're waiting, and then the Marines not showing up, and then the phone rings, and so I answer it, and it's my buddy from six eighteen, the guy who had told me that the Marine was coming, and I was like, dude, what's up? And he goes, hey, I was totally kidding with you, bro. There's no Marine. And I, and I, I didn't even know what to say, dude. Like, I, re- I could literally feel oh my God. The, <laughs> the color draining from my face. And this other, inst- this enormous instructor's like, is it him? Is it him? And I didn't even know what to say, so I just literally went like this. 
Here's the phone, I just, Dad. Like, I just like handed him the phone, and he's like, "This is instructor so and so. Who is this?" And he's like, "Oh, this is Airman so and so." He's like, "Where's the Marine?" He's like, "It was a joke." He's like, "Oh, oh, I'm sure he didn't laugh gotcha. either." You got jokes? I got jokes too. He's like, "You and Mendez on the grinder in a wetsuit and bring two canteens of water." Okay, what's the grinder? The grinder is the 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 exercise yard. Okay, right. So it's this big asphalt. You know, square. It's got like these Just little exercise. duck feet. Okay, right where you line up, and that's where you're gonna exercise. You okay. can do your push ups and your flutter kicks and all this other stuff. Not a good spot. Not a good spot to be by yourself <laughs> with one other dude in a wetsuit <laughs> with two canteens. <laughs> two canteens. Listen, if you, if they tell you to put your wetsuit on, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because they, that's when you know you're gonna be hot. So you're gonna be doing all these calisthenics in a wetsuit. Oh my god! So, dude, he proceeds to like beat us for like a couple hours. To the oh, point where that other dude quit. He's like, I'm done. Just quit right there. Thank God he quit because then he was like, well, I only got this guy left. He's like, all right, get out of here. <laughs> and so when when first phase started, when we classed up, there was no being the gray man for me. Every instructor knew who I was. It was like immediate, like, hey, where's Mendez? Doesn't matter. Hit the surf. <laughs> oh, oh, cool. Your, your uniform's really squared away. Doesn't matter. You fail. Go hit the surf. So everything I did was- <laughs> and hit the surf was, was basically- Sorry, yeah, go jump in the ocean, right? Go, go, go get wet and sandy. Go get wet and sandy. Just go swim. Wherever you are, you better run to that surf as hard as you possibly can. You're going to jump in that surf, right? You're going to roll around the sand, and then you're going to come back. Jeez. So that was my first phase. There was no being the gray man. And at that point, I was like, screw it. I'm not I'm not the gray man anymore. So I went all, I went all out. I was like- Let's No, it makes sense. Just want to just lay low. Yeah. They ended up like They it. ended up really liking me, though, because obviously, you know, they they- they were kind of you probably built some good relationships though, and along well, because I had a really you, good attitude, and you about made it. it through. I was always laughing. And you didn't dude. quit. I was always laughing or smiling, yeah. like enormous amount of endurance, buddy. Yeah, I mean tons. Yeah, yeah didn't give and up. And I always talk about like attitude. Right? When, I, at, when I talk at the FTXs that we do, mm-hmm. you know, I always talk about attitude and um, perspective, because as I'm going through this training, right, as a young twenty year old, I am. I am happy to be there. I feel privileged to be there. I'm like, man, I get to do this, right? I can't believe, in my head, this is what I'm thinking. I can't believe that they're paying me to work out all day long. Like, I work out for a living. I work out for a living. I eat four times a day. You know, I got health insurance, right? Because I grew up in a fairly humble household. So I knew that, like, all these things were, like, a big deal. All this security of having a job, having health insurance, having appreciated food. it. Yeah, yeah totally. so I'm like, dude, I have all this at the tip of my fingers, and all I have so, to do is work out. Direct deposit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got my USAA. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was funny because then you would see other people, and I always talk about, like I say, I talk about like some of the really like physical specimens that showed up to buds, and they would quit. Some of them would be the first ones to quit because they felt sorry for themselves because they were, you know, they were wet and cold and hungry and tired. And so I always say, hey, so you got two people going through the exact same experience, but experiencing something completely different in their heads. Right. So. No, very good. Good point, man. Oh, do you want to talk about the gray man real quick? Because we we kind of tossed the analogy around and I kind of try to explain to Raul how I never went to Bud's. I'm not I'm not a combat veteran. Stop it right there. But in basic training, the same theory applies. The gray man, you want to be quiet. You just want to get through it, do your time, and get through it. In life, sometimes that works. But then you get to 
we'll get there. The SEAL teams, you get to a line crew. You don't want to be the gray man. Like you, you, you want to have a purpose. You, you want to be a mentor. You want to be a leader. Like there is no just being the gray man in life. In times, certain times of your life, being the gray man is okay. Carlos, agree? Roll. I, I mean, I'll, I could field that one first. I mean, I think like, like my, like just for my field experience, right? When I was told to dig a hole, I'm digging a hole. Yep. Like I'm, that hole is going to be dug. And everybody's going to know that I got it down. Um, as I, as I progressed through like different phases of our trade, I wanted to be the best, you know? And I think, I think where you're going with this, Paul, is I think maybe during training, but as an, as an apprentice, I would say, you know, like you don't want to be known at the apprenticeship. I think that's what we're going with this. You know, I didn't want my director to know my name because there's so many, you know, there's 500 kids or whatever, 500 students. So like I can, I understand the concept of just, kind of not being noticed and getting through the last time, you know, I don't want anybody to hear my name or talk about me, you know, in a a negative way. But I think as, when you get past the training phase and you get into be in a career phase and a professional phase, like you want to get after it and be the best. You want people to know who you are. That's just my thought. I would agree. I I, I think that that's a training thing, right? Cause when I got to the team, I didn't have that attitude at all because now dude, I got to the team. You're surrounded by some pretty high level individuals. And now it went from, I just, I don't want to be the weak link. Like I want to be a contributor, right? Cause yeah. you're just surrounded by all these people who inspire you quite frankly. Right. Yeah. And, and kind of force you to, to raise your game. No, it's true. I get that. I like that contributor. That, I like that. The that, contributor. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, I like that. So you made it through buds. What yep. was, what was next? Was would that be your first deployment at, after that? Is that where you would? So, yeah, so I made it through BUDS, and then I ended up going to what's called, like, uh, SOCOM, which is a Special Operations Combat Medic course. Okay, okay. So that was a pretty long course. Um, it's an Army school. And so I had to do that before I finally made it to the team. And then my okay. first team was SEAL Team 1. SEAL Team 1. Yeah. I have a note here. You also, was that before or after Army Sniper School? Was that? Uh, I went to Army Sniper School when ap- I was uh, in the teams. In the teams. Okay, yeah. so you're in the teams. Now you got to go learn to be a sniper. Can we talk a little bit about that experience? Uh, Anything stick out about when you were in sniper school? I mean, obviously it sounds, I'll tell you what, it sounds super cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I thought I had a note here. I think it's something that uh, it's obviously an accomplishment on, on your resume. It's probably something, you know, that you, you know, that you would fall back on too as well. I mean, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so at the time we were getting ready to deploy, and I think my platoon was short a sniper or two. Okay. They were short a couple of snipers because I went with a buddy of mine. And so just so you know, it's extremely rare for the new guy to get a school like that, right? Okay. Usually as a new guy, you're going to get some crappy school, right? Like load, uh, load master, right, where you learn how to, like, safely put a pallet together or, like, hazardous material or you learn how to fix the motors on the okay. boats. But so to get sniper school as a new guy, it's kind of a big deal. There we go. So they were like, hey, we're really short uh, snipers. Yeah. Do you and this other guy want to go? And I was like, absolutely. Sign me up. Yeah. So what do you what do you think kind of selected you there? Was it just your attitude, your hard work? Was it uh, – like how did you get selected? Was it attrition? I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. I don't yeah. know why they picked me because, yeah. you know, I, I I don't know. I, as a new guy, I don't know as if you guy, necessarily right? stand out and you're like awesome. I don't think any new guys are like awesome, <laughs> right? Because right? you're, you're just drinking through a fire hose. Uh, I don't know. Maybe my attitude. Probably a good attitude. Who knows? Yeah. Got after it. Sure. You were definitely not the gray man then. No. That's right. Right? No more being <laughs> the gray man. Um, talking about any uh, experiences, any good relationships that you had along the way, I'd like to talk about that if we could. 
um, mentors, good relationships. Um, I got it down here as an OIC. So that would Your be officer in charge. Officer in charge. You have any that maybe st- that stood out that you kind of looked up to or yeah. your relationship with? Yeah. So my second officer in charge that I had um, is a is a ended up being a big mentor of mine um, for a few reasons. One, I'll be honest with you, he, he wasn't like the best SEAL tactically speaking, right? And in the SEAL teams, that's like huge. Like people really judge you on your tactical prowess. Okay. And he wasn't the best at it, dude. Um, but here's the thing. He was actually phenomenal at building relationships with people. Like, he built awesome relationships with his platoon. He built awesome relationships with um, the chain of command above us. And so guys liked working for him. So it, it honestly didn't matter, right? And I always say, like, hey, when you take care of your people and you build good relationships, people are a bit more forgiving of your shortfalls. Yeah, no, it's true. I uh, That's something that I try to do myself, too. You know, it's obviously, I think, um, just being a, a student and learning leadership along the way, it's, you know, you got to build those good relationships with people. You know, you can get a lot done a lot, a lot faster, a lot quicker, a lot more efficient when you have, when you have people working with you and having those relationships, you know. And it sounds like you found that, too. I uh, The opposite of that, you know, is sometimes when we get complacent, you know. Um, and I know you have a story about being complacent. Um, <laughs> I'd like to love to hear that story. Um, with, with the S-Vest, is that the, is that the proper term? Yeah. Uh, you're talking about when, yeah, when, when you, you're, when you're clearing room, you're clearing, clearing the, rooms. clearing rooms and then you guys are kind of, uh, going through everything. And then there's this one room where there's actual, uh, S-Vest guys. Yeah. You yeah. look down and. Yeah, yeah. So that was my platoon that did that. And, um, I thought it was a good, looking, a, a looking good topic. back. Yeah. I think there are other lessons too that we can take from it. Cause here's the thing, like they took some of their gear off and stuff because, um, you know, they were digging through all these spider holes and, 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 and walls and whatnot. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they were on target a little bit longer than, than usual. Right. But they had some really good contingency plans in place too. So when, you know, the crap did hit the fan, like they were set up to, to quickly re- be able to react to it. But, um, yeah, so so the story behind that is, you know, the, the guys were doing a uh, a direct action mission uh, for a guy who's an S-Vest. They, they say, hey, this guy's like an ID maker, right? Okay. So they went into the house. It was it was pretty empty. And, and that's a suicide vest. Suicide yeah. vest, yeah. Sorry. Excuse me. And so there was like some, you know, old guy. There was like a young kid. It just wasn't like your typical target. And so as they were going through it, they started finding like all these – false walls and caches. So they started taking some of their gear off, you know, cause they started like digging with picks and shovels and all this other stuff. And so, um, at one point, one of the guys went into one of the rooms, there was something under the rug that was like a different color than the rest of the ground. Basically he knocks on it. It's hollow. And they call the EOD guy, the explosive guy over. He checks it out, makes sure like there's no booby traps. He lifts it. And there's like, like 15 guys down there. And the first, I think couple had a suicide vest on. So, like, one of them throws a grenade up there, hits hits our EOD guy in the chest. Um, but luckily, it, it just went low order, which, I guess, the, the doesn't explode, explode to its full potential. Okay. Right? And so he saw the vest, and he called Avalanche, which is basically, hey, whatever you're doing, get the heck out of the house. And like I said, unfortunately, some of the guys had taken some of their stuff off because they were, like, digging and stuff. Okay. So you just got out of there. Yeah, so they What's all got call out of like? there. What's that call feel like, that Avalanche call? That's got to be like, get the hell out of that's got to be yeah, like it's crazy. Not, it's not like a call that you're going to hear like every day. 
Yeah, like it's when you super hear it, rare. Yeah, just like get out of there. Yeah, so when they got out of it's really there, scary dude. Basically, they don't know if like the guy clacked himself off or if like because as soon as they got it out, right, the the fifty cows started shooting at the at the house. So I don't know if like one of the fifty cows hit one of the suicide vests or if the guy clacked himself off. Either way, you know, it, it blew up. <laughs> so the house blew up. Um, but the guys underneath were still alive, so they came up. It was still like this huge firefight. Long story short, they ended up calling some some air on it, so they dropped a couple bombs on the house. But nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. got hurt. Oh. Nobody got hurt. I got a question, quick roll. Go for it. Um, so you're kind of like in the E forty five E six time. This is all kind of that time frame. Yep. So you're kind of we can consider mid level management. Kind of just you're just kind of a worker yeah. bee, if you will. Oh yeah. What, what's your leadership style like? What's your skill like? Do you do? You, are you implementing anything? I mean, obviously, um, as a seal, you're kind of already thrown into leadership position but i mean you're kind of the, the middle guy and, and regardless of your classification are like are you mentoring people like what what's your skill set now because obviously now i mean full circle you're you're a professional now but yeah. uh looking back at that time frame in your career what, what, what do you what's going what's going on uh yeah so i mean as soon as you get to the team you're getting responsibility right you're in charge of a department when i first got there i was in charge of the medical department so in charge of like all the medical records making sure that guys are up to date on all their shots uh, and then eventually I volunteered to take over what's called the ordinance department. So now you're in charge of like all the weapons, the optics. Like it's actually, I'm going to say it's probably the biggest department to be in charge of as like uh, E5, right? Cause it's a humongous responsibility to get those weapons to and from every single training site, making sure you're always up, making sure the inventories are up, making sure the weapons are always, you know, working. And, and, and but are you comfortable getting these positions? Like, cause yeah, I always found like, when you get put in the leadership positions, like I was never ready. You're just kind of put into it. People see a little, a little more than a little more, uh, what's the word? Maybe a little more, uh, you're great at it role. You always see, you always see that, that ability. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like put, like putting people in the right place. Yeah. Putting people in the right place. But I mean, the Navy, the Navy really has a, a unique way of, of putting you in the right place, but I'm not really concerned about like what you're in charge of. I want to talk about like, are you a leader at this point in your life? Like, are you really implementing some of these principles that you no. teach now? No, there we go. That's yeah. my that's my question. Yeah, I was a, I was young and stupid. Um, as a matter of fact, there where I kind of started realizing that I didn't like being the leader that I was there was go. when I went to the training detachment. Gotcha. The training detachment is like where you're you're training other seals before they go out on deployment, right? Okay. And I'll be honest with you, I went there kicking and screaming, like I was pissed. I didn't want to go, but it ended up being why not? Yeah, because I wanted not? to keep deploying with my team. Right, and to be with the boys. Yeah, exactly. Right, and then yeah. you would always talk smack about trade it, like, oh, you know, trade it. They're over there, you know, just teaching, and they're not in a platoon. They're not getting after it right now, and so of course that rubbed off on me, you know, because that's how my older guys were. Um, so I kind of had that attitude towards trade it, and then when I went, um, I got put in charge of the the close quarter combat cell. So I was like in charge of an entire cell, and basically in teaching the entire West Coast teams like this skill. All right. And and looking back now, I'm not I'm not proud of who I was, right? Um, because I was supposed to set the example and be patient and teach and I didn't I didn't have that style back then, right? Because honestly I hadn't really been taught a different style, right? If guys messed up, like I would yell and get on their case and here's the thing too, like if I thought guys were like what we call pipe hitters, right? 
I don't know if you guys have that phrase. Pipe hitters. Pipe hitters, basically like the meat eaters, right? <laughs> like I was like, yeah. Hit that you know, pipe. I like those guys. I like those guys, right? They're tough. They're always in the front trying to get after it. And yeah. then there was guys that were in the back that were sometimes trying to hide out. And I would I would not be the kindest to them. And I, I regret doing that because, I, I, honestly, I probably should have been the most patient with them. Because, listen, they're there regardless, right? And my job is to teach them. My job is not to judge. But back then in my in my mid-20s, I was young, I was immature, and I, I wasn't a good – I wasn't as good an instructor as I could have been. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So how, then, so how long were you there? At trade at? Three years. And that's where I met Jocko for the first time. Through that three years? And so that's actually where I was kind of exposed to, like, that different style of leadership. Okay. And I don't know if he said it to me or if I heard it in passing or whatever the case may be, but – you know, he said something along the lines of like, hey, when you lose your temper, that's a weakness. And up like, to that what? point, yeah, yeah, and up to that point, dude, as embarrassed as I am to say it now, that's that's kind of who I was, right? Because that's how I was raised. My dad yelled all the time, right. right? You join the Navy, you're around all these tough people who yell all the time. So you're thinking that's what leadership is, right? You're a big, badass, tough dude who yells all the time. And then when I saw that super calm demeanor, I was like, oh, I actually like that better, right? And I realized that I didn't like who I was, and that's when I started making that conscious effort. Uh, and and by the way, this is also around the time where I had my son. Oh, okay. So I think you know, you know, that having, changed. having oh, a yeah. child changes you. You become way more empathetic, sympathetic, more patient. So that's right. around the time where I actually really started developing that switch, my like leadership style. Because before that, I wouldn't say I had a style at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> just got after I it. I just got after it and did yeah. what, whatever I saw everybody else do. But it was at that point where I started actually developing like, oh, okay, this is actually how I want to treat people. But, but we see that now, especially in our trade where it's yeah. like we're, we're never taught a style. There's like, and Roland and I talk about this, like as a, as a, as a young apprentice or a young journeyman lineman, like you're never, there's never really a leadership style to be taught. You do what's natural or what your parents taught you or what you're used to seeing. So I think it's important that you, you speak your message like, yeah, you 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 did what you thought was right. And then you see a different style. And you're like, oh, this works. This is a lot more natural. This is kind of my style. And this is actually empowers other people to lead and want to lead. And it improves culture rather than, uh, you know, work and opposite. I think, and I think you're I think you're kind of fortunate to see it in, in action. I think that's what happened to you. It happened to me is like you see people and the way they they treat others and how much more productive it is how much more better of an environment is for le for learning. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, how do you get that? Um, how do you make that switch in yourself and say, you know what? That's what I want to be. Yeah. That's who I want to be right there. And, and, and you find that mentors along the way. And it's not like you did with Jocko at the trade at and changed. And you know, that's awesome, man. I think it's a, I think it's all around just um, like learning. Yeah. Like you never stop learning. Yeah. What's funny is like yeah. when I, when I came back to the team as an officer, um, Oh, flex! Some of the new guys. Oh, sorry, officer. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just kind of slide let's just, over that. Let's just skip over to that piece. Yeah. Just... <laughs> well, because here's here, there's a point I want to make here. This like uh, when I went when I came back to the teams, right? I, I so I took off to go to school for about two years. So I went, got my degree, came back as an officer. And when I got to my team, I checked in. And, you know, I was talking to some of the new guys. This is like their first deployment, their first rotation. And as I'm chatting with them, I'm, I'm, now I've developed my style, right? So I'm, I'm learning to build that relationship with them. I'm learning about them, their families, what makes them tick, whatever. And one of them goes, man, you know what? You're actually pretty cool, man. And I'm like, what does that mean? 
He goes, dude, some of the older guys, when they heard that you were coming to our platoon, they were dreading you coming here. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, they said when you were an instructor at Trade It, you were a maniac. You were, you were nuts. And I was like, damn it. And that's when I looked back. I was like, man, that's so embarrassing. You know, but so you left the teams. You don't know what you don't know. Not to not to interrupt your thought there, but yeah. so you left the teams and you went to school and got your degree. Or, yeah. So or transitioned um, to so, school. Yeah. Or? So when I was at uh, the training detachment, right? They the, they have a program where they pick uh, the SEAL teams. Will pick one person a year and they'll send them to go get their degree for. They'll give you three years. You got three years to knock out your bachelor's degree. So they cut you away okay. completely from the team. You get your degree and then you come back as an officer. But the Navy. Big Navy has a program where they pick two people a year, one or two, depending on how many slots they have. Mm-hmm. And there's this, uh, it's a medical program where basically they send you to go get your, your undergrad and then they send you to medical school and then you become a doctor. Wow. And I'll be 100% honest with you, dude. I put in my application for that program completely 100% not expecting to get it. So <laughs> when I got picked up for it, I'm like, dude, who is making these decisions? <laughs> So here we go again, not expecting to get something, <laughs> and all of a sudden he just gets it. I don't, I don't, it's got to be something, man. Good karma with you. I don't know, something good. Something good, right? <laughs> so I get picked up for this program. Yeah. I end up going to the University of San Diego to try to do pre med. And I quickly realized, like, you know what, dude? I didn't actually even like being the medic on the team. Like, why in the world did I actually want to be a doctor? And a part of it, too, was I felt a lot of pressure. I felt a lot of guilt because now I have my son. And I felt like I was missing a lot of important parts of his life. And so I, I remember at that point when I put my application, I was like, well, if I'm a doctor, you know, I'll have a regular job and I'll be able to come home in the evenings. I'll be right. home on the weekends. And right. That was part of it. And then when I left to do this program, one, I missed the teams almost immediately. Like I missed the teams. And then two, I realized like, dude, I was, I was a terrible medic. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say terrible, I was good at the trauma stuff, but I was really bad at what we call sick call. Like, I had no empathy like for guys. Like, I don't I'll care, bro. Like, yeah. Why are you coming to me? My ear aches. Like, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. I, I, I wasn't a good medic in that sense. I got gotcha. you. So I was like, why do I want to be a doctor? That was actually a bad decision. And then I sat in on a finance class as a uh, as an elective. And by the way, I'm hating pre-med. Like, I am hating every second of it. Not so, feeling it at all. Not feeling it at all. Yeah. Like, I hate every single class. Like, I'm miserable. I hate going to school. I sat in on a finance class as, a, as an elective, and I loved it. I was like, dude, this is awesome. I really, I really dig this class. So you're back to liking math. Well, I mean, it's pretty much math, right? Finance? It well. is, but it's not, dude. So here's the thing. Like, when I started math, I, I really hated, because they were like, oh, you got to do calculus, right, to, right, as a prereq for finance. And they're like, if you don't like math, you're not going to like finance. But when I got to my finance classes, it's not, it's not hard. Especially because there's a dollar sign in front of it. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I know exactly where that money's going, right? Whereas like in calculus, all you see is a bunch of like, you know, hieroglyphics and like letters. There's like no numbers anymore. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was totally different. And now it, it's not as hard as it looks. There's just, a, you just got to learn some formulas, right? And you got to know the formulas. You got to know where to plug the numbers in. You got to know what the letters actually stand for, right? And now in finance, those letters actually mean something. So I changed my major without telling anybody. To finance, Carlos, dude, he's <laughs> got the biggest. I know, dude. Just set up. Just what you know what? Yeah. Oh, come on, well, seal, man. Here's the bad thing, though. <laughs> so now you know this is a regular Navy program. Like I'm not under the protection of Naval Special Warfare anymore. Like I'm in the regular Navy. 
Cause, okay. cause, right? Because I didn't get picked up for the Naval Special Warfare Program. I got picked up for the big Navy medical program. So they call me into the office and they're like, all right, hey, you know, you decide what med schools you're going to go to. And I was like, about that. I'm actually a finance major. <laughs> I haven't even applied to any med schools. Yeah. I have no desire of going to a med school. And they were pissed. They were oh, like, no. cool. They're like, you know what you're going to go do? You're going to go be on a ship. You're going to be a SWO, a surface warfare officer, right? So you're an officer on a ship. Okay. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But once again, it's not what I want to do. On the bridge. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I actually want to go back to, to, to the SEAMs. I want to go back to the SEAL teams as an officer. And they're like, no. So I was like, okay, y'all want to play this game. So you have your finance major, point, you want to go back to the team. Yeah, so at this point, that's like, I've, I've been around for a little bit, so yeah. I made some phone calls, right? Yeah. I made some phone calls to some people, and they're like, that's stupid, dude. We literally spent all this money training you, and they're going to send you back to, to be a swell. That doesn't make any sense. So they're like, hey, you can come back to teams, but you got to go through the process just like everyone else. So basically... What does that entail? So... Uh, back from the beginning? No, no, no. Oh, so okay. basically applying for it, right? So oh, when you have all it. these officer candidates, yeah. and you're trying to pick your specialty... You have to you have to go through the physical test. You have to go through an interview process, and then you have to get picked, right? Because there's only so many slots to be a special warfare officer, to be an officer in the SEAL teams. So he's like, you're gonna have to compete with all these other kids. You're gonna have to go through the process. I was like, fair enough, right? So I go through the process. I go through the interview, and then I get picked up. So I ended up going back to the teams. Man, yeah, <laughs> that's a ride. <laughs> man, that's, that's a, a ride, man. That's good stuff. That's some good stuff there. I tell you what, uh, when you see that trident, uh, I think the first one I saw was in Great Lakes boot camp. After uh, after boot camp, you see that trident. I saw a guy a seal with a trident, and that thing just is beautiful. Dude. You can spot that out from a mile away. That thing just the sun hits that sucker. It's oh, pretty big. <laughs> that's heavy. Good stuff. Yeah, man, we covered a lot. Those, yeah. man, jeez. There's a lot going on here. Um, so back at the SEALs, um, after you you received your, that award as a Seaman Admiral Award, right? Yeah. Only two two people per year is awesome. So um, always SEALs, too. Right? Huh? Always SEALs. Oh, I right. mean, you're talking, I mean, he, he's brushing over it, but like the whole Navy applies for it because it, it's a great program. Like, like Carlos says, like, it's a big deal. Then. It's a big deal. And yeah, you're and competing it, with a lot of you're people. You're competing with a lot of people. So it's good, man. That's if you don't cool. understand it, I mean, it's always it's always cheese for the for this big navy for a, a little guy like me. It was like, oh, this is cool, give me opportunity. But they're choosing the the, the cream of the crop guys that invested in uh, a lot of money, like Carlos and, and his his buddies. So it, it's a real it's a real cool program. So where are we at now? What year are we at now? Now that you're back at the seals and as an officer, you're back in an officer. Uh, so that's the OIC 2015. 2015 yeah. back in OIC. Any lessons learned in? In leadership, I mean, you're getting some, you're getting some uh, experience, man. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm actually like, yeah, I went to, went to trade at yeah. your leadership, right? You're going down the road. What's mm-hmm. any lessons? But like? now this is like this is where actually I could I start refining everything that I've actually you're tying it all together. Right? So letting my enlisted guys come up with the plan, letting like I here's the thing though, I understood that very well because as an enlisted guy, I hated when the officers would like come up with the entire plan, right? And I would hear, like, the grumblings of, like, the E5s and E6s, like the subject matter experts, right? And the officer would be like, this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, there would always be that. So when I, by the time I got to being an officer, I knew exactly what my lane was, right? I let them come up with a plan. I basically give them the commander's intent, like, hey, this is what we're trying to do, but you guys come up with a plan and let me know what I can do to make your job easier. That's my job. 
is to make sure that you're able to do yours. What was your ultimate goal in doing that and come up with the plan? What was your ultimate goal? Oh, man, letting your team come up with a plan does so many different things for you. One, right, there's, there's a really, really good chance that your team knows how to do that better than you do. So think about it. The, the skills that I had learned, they're perishable, in particular the skill of, of close-quarter combat, right? Because I thought I was really good at it. I mean, I taught it for three years, so I thought I was fairly good at it. But here's the thing. I went off to school for two years, and I came back, and guess what? Different. There's guys totally that are different. There's yeah. guys that are way better at it than I am now, True. because they've been doing it day in and day out, and and that was like a little bit hard for me. I'm not gonna lie, because that was like the one thing that I really enjoyed was close quarter combat. I love CQC, so that took a little bit of like me really like all right, they know what they're doing, right? <laughs> and they 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 know how to do it better than I do. Right. So like I said, one, they're closer to the problem. They deal with it on day to day basis. They're probably the subject matter experts now. Two, it gives them ownership of the plan, dude, right? They're way more invested in the plan if they came up with it. They're way less likely to mess it up. They're way more motivated to fix something if it goes wrong. Yeah, that's the key I like. If yeah. something goes wrong, it's like, man, we got to fix this. This is our plan. Yeah, it's their plan. They got they got yeah. pride and ownership in it, right? Yeah, totally. And I think learning that, just learning to let go, right? That realizing that you're surrounded by some pretty awesome, smart people. Let them come up with it. Yeah, hey, I think you mentioned it too, you know, from your other podcast is, you know, you don't have to know everything as a leader. Yeah. So I that's mean, actually one of the, yeah. So yeah, that's one of the huge lessons that I learned when I was there. So one of the skills that you have in the teams is called a JTAC, right? And a JTAC is basically the guy who controls all the air assets. So he's always speaking to the aircraft that are up in the air. It's a, it's a very complicated, uh, complex job. It's a very technical job, right? Because you got to know like all the different aircraft. You got to know the, the ordinance that they carry. You got to know like at what elevations they're all flying at, so they're not all flying in their airspace. Because you're you're managing multiple different assets during a mission at the same time, right? You got your fast movers, you got your helos, you got all these other things, all these other aircraft that each serve a purpose, and you're controlling all of that. And um, the there was a couple instances that I came across where I realized like, oh, I'm. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? So when they were teaching us how to be uh, assault force commanders, right, the, the the guy who ended up teaching the class how to be an officer in charge in OIC uh, on a mission, he happened to be a JTAC. He had that call. He was phenomenal at it. So in my head, I'm thinking, I got to know how to do this. So I was spending so much time trying to learn that skill. And then at one point, I just kind of realized, like, I don't have to know everything, right? Why am I putting myself – why am I – because I was st- at that point, I was really stepping away from the strategic picture and, and was really into the, the, the tactical side. Right. And that's when I realized, like, I'm too in the weeds right now. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this when I have a JTAC in my platoon who went to the school? He knows it way better than I ever will Pretty by, by me reading the books on my own. Right. Because right? right. that's how I was learning. I was basically asking questions and reading the manuals, which are super boring to read, by the way. And, and I'm like, why am I doing this when I just got him? And that's when I realized, hey, I guess, you know what? I don't have to know everything. And I'm okay with that. Just fall back on leadership. I just got to know some wave tops yeah. as to how I can actually utilize him. I think that's the biggest thing. I got to know when and where I can utilize this guy, and he's actually going to come up with how to do it. Right? So so when it came to, like, a, a target, it would be like, hey, I need – so beforehand when we were briefing, I would just tell him, like, hey, for this particular instance, I need something that can, uh, I don't know, give us um, – backside protection on the backside of this building, right? I just need someone to be able to keep an eye on this backside of the building so we don't have to put any guys back there. He's like, cool. I could use, you know, whatever aircraft for this and that. Hey, for this building, when I drop on it, I want to be able to just drop and 
you know, have the least amount of collateral damage, right? I know there's a bomb that does that. And he goes, oh, yep, it's it's X, Y, and Z, right? I could drop a bomb where yeah. it'll just explode inside in. of the building, yeah. right? It won't cause any damage outside. He's like, I know exactly what to do. So that was the thing. I just told him kind of what I wanted, why I wanted it, and then he would he would tell me what how to how to go about it. It kind of frees you up to do other things, right? Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing <laughs> because you got a lot going on, right? Yeah. You're trying to keep track of everybody that's on the battlefield. So once I learned how to do that, it was like a very freeing experience for me yeah. because now it allowed me to really look at the strategic picture, and it was awesome because there, there were times where I didn't have to say a whole lot, and that's when I knew that things were really going well because I'm not saying a whole lot of anything. Right. Yeah. That's when the, I know my guys are just taking care of it. They're taking care of it. What what is one of the things you do and when you don't know something, you fall back on leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is what are some of the tactics you use? Like ask questions. I mean, go back to being humble. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can fall back on. All right? of it, right? Number yeah. one, having the humility to realize that you don't know the answer. Right. That's number one. Right. And then number two, have taking ownership of it. Okay, cool. I don't know how to do it, but I'm gonna find someone who does. Right come up with some solutions yeah, yeah. we're gonna come up with we're gonna I'm, I'm you know what if i run into the first roadblock this guy doesn't know how to do it okay i'm gonna ask somebody else oh he's not the decision maker cool i'm gonna go to the next person who's who's above you like i'm running that thing to ground and that's the ownership piece of it yeah man i'm gonna sound clip that one man <laughs> sound clip it bro <laughs> it's a wrap um man you've had a just an awesome just an awesome career here i mean as i go through it it's like i'm trying to touch all these pieces here um, you mentioned, and me and Paul were talking about it. I want to talk about it. I don't know if you remember, but I'm going to ask you about it. Uh, was, you know, you were able to find your red flags too, as a, you know, OIC, you, you were identifying within yourself, those red flags. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recall that? Yeah, that, absolutely. That conversation. I yeah. mean, I think as leaders, we got to do that. We got to know what our red flags are. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when I really started figuring out what my red flags were was when I was going through uh, training, right? Because mm-hmm. what they'll do at the training detachment is every mission set that you're getting, you're getting all kinds of different problems at the same time. right? I, and, and it's by design, right? It's by design that they're giving you all these problems. And when they started giving me all these problems, you're definitely going to get overwhelmed. I mean, that's the point of it, right, to stress you out. And that's when – and in the debriefs, you know, I always say, like, it's repetition, Cause it didn't just happen overnight where I'm like, Oh cool. I know I need to detach now. No problem. I'm going to detach next time. It, it just doesn't work that way. You, you go through that mission and you're like, Oh, this is the point where I kind of started losing it. Right. And then right. you really take the time to process it. And then I realized that for me, the point where I started losing it is when I, I had the thought in my head, I don't know what to do right now. Like I felt overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Like, Oh crud, I don't know what to do. I've got all these problems. I don't even know where to start. And that was my red flag. Like, okay, cool. You know why I don't know how to do that? Because I'm not detached right now. And so yeah. that was when I was like, okay, I need to take a step back and prioritize and execute. Hey, what's the biggest problem right now? You know? Yeah. Oh, it's to win the firefight. That's actually number one problem I need to solve right now. Yeah, and that's then we, something I work on all the yep, time, man. One problem at a time. Yeah. Not spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, that's something. That's one of my red flags is sometimes I dive too, too, uh, too quick into the details, you know, and don't pull back and kind of look into it and just dive into it. Instead of just, de- like you said, detaching, prioritize, execute, you know, c- come up with a good plan for the team rather than, you know, what's good at that particular moment, right? Yeah, yeah it's so, so true, man. Yeah, and like I said, with repetitions, you catch on faster and faster and faster. And so you, uh, 
obviously I've seen you, your, your keynote speak, you know, just a couple times now, one at the JTC, <laughs> one for our corporation. And you're, and when you speak, man, it's, it's really good, you know, and where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn that from? Where'd you learn how to speak so well in front of everybody? I mean, obviously you went from the Navy yelling at everybody to now you got to get buy-in, you know, as an instructor, where did you, where'd you learn that just by doing it? Cause I think that's, I think that's hard for us all is public speaking. I don't know about you. Yeah. You know, it's hard to get out in front of a group and you do it really well. Um, Thank you. Um, where'd you learn that from? I'm going to say that the training detachment, right? Yeah. And I always say like the toughest customers you're ever going to have are other team guys because they're so critical. Uh, they are, they are looking for a way to pick apart whatever it is that you <laughs> said. So I always kind of joke around like you better, you better be very deliberate about the message that you're delivering. You better really know what you're talking about, you know, um, because if you're stuttering all over the place, you're not confident. They're not, they're not going to respect you. They're going to eat you alive. And they're oh, not going to yeah. listen to the message that you have to say. You lose um, them, like, just quick. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, obviously, confidence has helped a whole lot, right? Uh, I think the reading part has helped me a whole lot because I feel that reading so many different books and stuff has helped me be able to to articulate the things that I want to say because you've just seen it play out so many times, right, on a page. You're like, oh, this author articulated his point this way or this way or that way. And then you just pick it up as you go. Um, but if you told me that I was going to be a, I guess, a, a public speaker, I guess, for, right. as, if I was going to do public speaking for a living, I would have been like, no way. This is absolutely not what I pictured <laughs> myself doing. Right. Um, so yeah, I would have to say enjoy that it. Yeah. I actually do enjoy it quite a bit, man. Yeah, I can tell. I, I, I meet a lot of super awesome people. Uh, I come across a lot of different companies, um, you know traveling all over the place and here's the biggest thing i see the impact i see the impact that was actually one of my biggest hang-ups when jp first reached out to me he's like hey you know we've got a position opening up at echelon front i think you'd be great here whatever whatever and jp is he's one of the other echelon front instructors. he's one of the ogs just for our listeners yeah yeah he's <laughs> one of the ogs he's one of the you know yeah. he's actually probably he, i think he's the first instructor that jocko and Leif hired on okay him and dave burke were the first two instructors that they hired on and I didn't really quite know what they were doing. Like, I'm just like, hey, I don't know if these guys are just going around telling war stories. And that's just not my thing. I want to actually deliver impact. Here's the thing. When I got out of the Navy, I was very big on technical hard skills. I want to learn a technical hard skill because I want to be a contributor. Yeah. I want to contribute to the team. So that's why I chose investment banking because it was a very technical job. Like, it was very palpable. Like, you can truly see the results, right? You that you're delivering. Yeah, you're sure. delivering, like, hard numbers. There's no doubt about it. And so that's why I, I I became obsessed with learning that skill. Like I literally read a book called Investment Banking, cover to cover. I knew nothing about it. That's how I learned how to answer like my technical questions. I, I read everything that I could on the subject because I was like, okay, uh, I wanted to be able to deliver a technical hard skill because I underestimated the importance of what they call soft skills, right? right. Which is the human part of it. Mm -hmm. And now that I've been talking to so many different companies and seeing so many different people, now I'm just like, whoa, actually, it's the opposite. I would actually take those soft skills that I used to not think were that important over the technical skills. You teach those technical skills, but man, is it tough to teach those soft skills, the human interaction. It's hard to sink in too. I mean, you could teach it and teach it. Way and, harder. Dude, it's, it's hard to utilize those skills. You yeah. Know? And it, I mean, I practice it all the time. I miss it. 
you know, and I, and I try to make a conscious effort. So I know it's, you know, you could be taught and you could read the books and you can, and we'll get into some of the echelon front trainings, but it's really hard for it to stick. I'm just being, being honest. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's simple, but not easy. Yeah. It's super hard. And so seeing motions take over so quick for sure, you know, but now being able to see that impact, Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, Oh wow, that really made a difference for that company or like when I started teaching, like I started getting messages from people like, Hey, that one thing that you and I talked about that problem, I, I did what you told me to, or I took your advice or I did the, you know, I followed the the principles that you guys teach and it worked out for me. Like, this is what happened. Right. And I get those all the time and I'm like, man, that feels good. So I, I see that it is delivering an impact because that's always been like my thing. I want to deliver p- impact that you can, that you can see. Right. I don't want to sell snake oil. Right. No, I don't right. think anybody wants to do no. that. No. Right, because you want people to be happy with what it is that you delivered for them. Like I, I want that. And I'm sure everybody else feels that way. You want to deliver something that your customers happy about. Yeah, you want to see the fruits of your labor. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's and I haven't had an experience yet. That's awesome. You know, knock on wood, where a, a, a client was like, I wasn't happy with that. So we jumped ahead a little. So you went into invest, investment banking. Um, right out, right out of the Navy, right retired. Yeah. What was it 21 years? I think I did the math. Almost 22. Yeah, so 21 and a half. 21 and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 21 and a half years. I was right. Good job. How about that? Math. Yeah. Um, It's a hell of a thing. Yeah. (laughs) Numbers. (laughs) And you graduated from, or you got an uh, UCLA? You went to UCLA? I went to UCLA to get my MBA, yeah. Awesome. Slide over that again. (laughs) Yeah, just no problem. Breathe up that. Jesus. What's your your office wall look like? Just smothered in. That's a good question. How many, yeah, what does it look like, your office wall? Do you have an office? you're gonna laugh bro i have all these like awards and all these things in frames in the closet none of them are hung up none of them are hung up (laughs) gotta be one there's not a single one dude that's actually hung up but uh you know like i was telling you we're building a house yeah so in that office i i'll I'll probably hang some stuff up there you go nice but dude i I, there's something about me too like I, I want to keep it modest, right? So I want to do just a couple of things here and there. Because yeah, I, 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 I really truly don't like being the center of attention. I really don't. Like I get actually a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and that's kind of been an adjustment for me with, you know, doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. People are always reaching out to, talk to you, to you yeah. and emailing you and messaging you. Got Raul and Paul emailing you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have like people stopping me, right? At, like hotels and be like, oh, you're Carlos from Echelon Front. And I'm like, Oh, am I? I am. And then they're like, they just want to sit there and chat. Yeah, and it's like cool. super weird for me. Not that it's a bad thing, but I've just never really experienced that before. And I still feel kind of odd. Like, bro, I'm I'm a nobody, dude. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I don't know if like people are expecting me to drop like some, some some awesome wisdom. So I feel like all this pressure, like, dude, I don't know if I'm going to say it's, it's all that great. I don't know, dude. <laughs> Your story's awesome, man. I don't know. I, it's cool talking to you, man. Like I said before, super excited, you know, you being here. So I can I can relate to people that talk to you for sure. Um, so you're doing investment banking. Uh, JP recruits you now. Let's talk about that. So how does that, how do you make the transition from investment banking to Echelon Front? Let's talk through that. Yeah. So as I'm doing the banking thing, I, I've I've come to realize that it's it's not going to be a long term play for me. Like it, initially, it really was. I was like, dude, I really like this because I really did. I really did enjoy like the mergers, acquisitions world, like the leverage buyout world. It was super super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't super interesting for 18 hours a day. Like some Jeez. of these days that we put in were ridiculous, dude. And at some point, it kind of gets a little bit, you know, it's it's just kind of repetition. Right, so it's a different company, but it's kind of the same mm-hmm. thing. And um, 
I'm are you kinda, working from home or are you in office? Yeah, or? so I'm working from home too. Oh, okay, so I'm working from home because it's during COVID. Okay, so you're home. Um, and it's kind of funny because my wife was like, she's like, I know you told me you were going to work long hours, but have had I not seen it from myself, I wouldn't have believed it. Because I'm talking, my phone was ringing all the time. Jeez. There was no free time to myself. And so I think where I had my epiphany that it wasn't a long-term play was we were working on this pitch. It was an all-nighter. Right, we had a presentation at six in the morning because we're in LA, and you know New York is is nine a.m. So we're we're pitching to a client at nine a.m. Eastern time. So I literally pulled an all nighter with my analyst. We're putting this this pitch together, and then we we're finished like around four in the morning, and then they're like, "All right, you got to call the managing director." And I'm like, "At four a.m.?" They're like, "Yeah, he's got to look over it, and we're gonna have to make some more changes before six o'clock." That's when I realized, like, dang, even the managing director's got to get up. Like, he just – and he went to sleep late, too. Like, I think he's – I think, like, at a 10 or 11 p.m., he was just like – or maybe even midnight, he was like, all right, guys, I'm going to get some sleep. Let me know when the pitch is done. Let me know when the deck is done. So then <laughs> I called him at 4 in the morning, and he's like, oh. Obviously, he's been used – he's used to it. Yeah. So he's expecting the call. And he looks over the deck, and he tells us all the changes. And we, we're literally making changes all the way up to, like – 5.58 a.m. <laughs> my God. <laughs> and we turned the deck in like exactly at 6. And you're just beat at this point. Yeah, I didn't sleep all night. Beat. And now you got to go yeah. right into your next day. Oh, yeah. So that's when I realized like, okay, if the managing director who's been here 10 years, if he's not getting any sleep, like this, this is, world, this is not a long-term play for me. Yeah. And then throughout my career, I had, um, you know, I'd suffered a couple TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, because I got blown up a couple times. And so... You know, I was kind of, I was starting to have like really bad migraines and I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't think this is a long-term play. The money is not worth it. Right. And so I started looking at other firms and I was actually pretty far along the process. Like there was another firm that I was literally about to sign with when JP came along and he was just like, Hey dude, like we've got a client that I think 50, 60% of their employees only speak Spanish. And, um, I told them that we could deliver. <laughs> I was like, oh, you did, did you? <laughs> He's like, yep, because I knew I had you. And I'm like, bro. So did I, you know what Echelon Front was at that point? Yeah, I knew who they were. Knew what I, they were. I knew doing. what they were, but I didn't have a good grasp of okay. what they did, right? right. You never saw Because I went out training. there, but as a role player. So okay. I had gone out to the to the trainings, to the FTX trainings, but as a role player. So basically, I'm not seeing anything. I'm just running out there with a gun shooting these clients, you know, <laughs> um, having JP talk over the, 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 the radio, like, hey, can you calm down a bit? <laughs> You know, like you're killing them all. They got to have a little bit of confidence. They're, they're all civilians, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're like you're all civilians. But for me, you know, I hadn't held a gun in like a year, so I'm like, sweet. I'm just going bananas <laughs> after it. Yeah, I'm just going bananas. What was out it like there. laser taggers? Yeah, I don't they mean to go off on a tangent. Here, they're laser taggers. Laser taggers. Okay. Laser taggers. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, so I'd seen that side of it, but I hadn't seen the instructor side of it. I hadn't seen what they're actually teaching. I hadn't really seen the impact that they're making. So he calls me. He's like, hey. Can you come out and do this? And I'm like, dude, have you ever seen the movie Office Space? That's my life. <laughs> you know when he says, hey, Bob, I got seven bosses? Seven bosses, That's yeah. me. I've got like six different managing directors on six different deals. And I literally have to ask each one of them, because they're different deals. I have to ask each one of them for a day off. So you get like a couple personal days off. But it's funny, because when I read the email, the policy for like days off, for personal days off, it was like, you will check your email. Like, I forget. It was like five times a day. You will do this. You will do that. You will check in. You will answer the phone call if it comes from so-and-so. I'm just like, dude, that's not a personal day. That's pretty demanding. <laughs> that is actually pretty demanding. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to, uh, I'll give it a shot. I told him, I'll give it a shot, dude. And somehow, 
by complete fate, I don't know. It actually worked out. I got a couple days off. So I flew out. I, 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 did, I did the translating uh, for, for a two-day workshop. And by the way, I did the workshop all day long, but I also had to catch up for my investment banking work all night long. So like for three days, I didn't sleep because I would be teaching during the day. I, I was catching up for my actual real job at night. And then on the third day, actually, let me, let me rewind a little bit. So when I first showed up to this job, you know, most of these guys are Hispanic. They don't speak, you know, English that well. Most of them are immigrants, just like me. They're not super excited about being there, bro. I'll be completely honest with you. I could just tell by a look on their faces. And not because, you know, they don't want to do well. It's because they're hard workers. Yeah. They'd rather be working. 100%. They would yeah. rather be working. They want to get after it. They're yep. hard workers. And they're thinking, you know, what's this stupid leadership training that I have to, like, basically spend all day at? So what they did is they split them in two, right, because they can't let have the entire force take two days off. So half of the group did one day, half the group did the other day. Mm -hmm. And the first day they showed up, one of the their foreman, who I found out later was, like, one of their rock star foremen, like one of their top performers, he showed up super late. He was like, you could, he, he, he was very uh, uh, honest about it. He's like, this is going to be BS. I was like, I was like, dang it, man. Like, what, is, what, did, JP, what did JP get me into? Right. You know, because I could see the look on their faces as I'm starting off. But as we're going through the day, I could see their body language, like, start to change. I could see them start nodding their heads. I can see them, like, really getting into it. And now they're starting to participate. And by the end of the day, man, it was like night and day, like the change and how they viewed the training. And that foreman that showed up late, he, he came up to me and he was like, hey, man, I'm really sorry I showed up late. Can I come back tomorrow for the full portion? I was like, yeah, dude, it's good with me if, you, if your boss is good with it. And of course, the boss was good with it. I mean, he's paying money to, to have these guys get this training. Yeah, he's investing in them. Yeah, exactly. He's investing yeah. in his people. And by the way, this guy's phenomenal. Their CEO is phenomenal. So on the, the last day where we do a final debrief, dude, when I heard the debriefs that these people had, and how they were taking like all these principles that we talked about. And they had like very specific examples, like where they were going to like implement them in their job. And that foreman I was telling you about, dude, he was pumped. He's like, I've already called my guys. I've already apologized for doing this and this and this. He's like, but I've started empowering them. I gave them a list of things that they can now start taking charge of. And he's just showing me all these things that he had already talked to his guys about implementing. I mean, he was like through the roof. And that's when I was like, man. You guys are are making an impact with these soft skills, right? right? Like right. this is actually pretty impactful. Not not at all what I thought it was going to be, and so I'm like, this is really cool, JP. And you had a good time. I, I had bet. a great time too. Plus, I'm hanging out with my friends again, and right. I'm doing something that I feel pretty good about. And so I go back to work, <laughs> and so now I'm building these financial models at till three four in the morning again, and these PowerPoint decks, and I start getting like, uh, I start getting messages from some of the people that work there saying like, hey, thank you very much for, for coming out and training with us. Like it made a huge impact on our company. Like things are definitely starting to turn around and we're implementing some of this stuff. And that's when I was like, yeah, that felt really good. Yeah. And, and I honestly don't know if it was JP or I who initiated the talk. I don't remember how it came about, but I'm like, all right, dude, let's have a serious conversation of what this would look like. Um, me joining Echelon Front full time. So that's cool. From the uh, boardroom to the uh, laser tags, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's just one small portion of it. I mean, it's cool though. Yeah. It's cool. So in my in my mind, so you circled back with uh, with JP, who you're friends with. You said, yeah, JP and I've been friends for a long time. And then Leif, 
and Jocko. So, so you I didn't guys know Leif all, in the teams. Did you guys all, or, I mean, you, you, in my mind, what I'm saying is you guys all worked together before, right? You guys were around each other before. I've, I worked back. with Jocko and JP. I'd okay. never worked with Leif before. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I used to work for Jocko, and then JP and I used to work together at the right. training detachment. Yeah, right at the training detachment. So that, I mean, that was probably pretty cool getting hooked hooked back up with him and yeah, oh yeah. Kind of and trade it was low yeah. uh, on a gold loaded, mine huh? of a of a leadership just hanging out there. Yeah, and they're all going to be at the echelon front. Like come back. <laughs> That's basically what Jocko did. He brought everybody on board. <laughs> smart, <laughs> super yeah. smart. Yeah. Well, good man. Well, we went through your looks like we went through your whole life here in a yes, nutshell. Sir. I mean. Pretty impressive. Thank you for sharing it with us and our listeners. Um, a lot of a lot of good nuggets of just man, great information and just just some leadership and man, just endurance. I love it. So thank you again. But I think we're gonna take a little pause uh, with producer Paul. It's a little segment we do. Um, he's gonna ask us some questions and we're gonna get after it. All right. Yeah. Come on. Um, give the the listeners a little heads up. Uh, as far as what you guys heard right now, that's all. Roll and I planning out, outlining a little bit. Obviously, the conversation goes where it goes. But from here on out with, with my segment, Roll's not involved in this. This is all – Roll challenges our workforce, uh, leadership, uh, everyone from, from top to bottom. He challenges, challenges everyone. So this is kind of – one of Roll's biggest assets or biggest strengths is, is his preparation. So I kind of take that away from him, from him. I get some questions, compile it up. Uh, kind of put them on the spot. Uh, you know, as as a workforce, you're 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 empowered to to challenge up and down your chain of command, and this is exactly what it is. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, get people a little bit uncomfortable with, or a little more comfortable with the conversation of uh, of challenging or just asking a question, and, and that's kind of what we want to show. So, um, here we go. Let's go. Uh, we'll go with uh, Carlos and Roll on this question. Are you observant to other leaders, um, competitors? Um, obviously, Carlos, you're, you're surrounded by tremendous leaders, but uh, are you observant of them still? Is it, is it, are you learning from them? Are you, are you, are you looking at styles? What, what's that look like? Am I going first? Yeah, Carlos, sorry. I got yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, you did. Absolutely. I mean, leadership is never-ending. And honestly, I love listening to other instructors' briefs. I love listening to because they have a completely different view. I'm like, oh man, they they kind of approach it from this different angle. I like that, uh, and I tell them straight up, like, hey, dude, I'm gonna plagiarize that. I'm taking that <laughs> from you. But yeah, it's it's never ending. Um, one of the instructors that I would I'd, I've really been wanting to watch is Dave Burke. I haven't had a chance to watch him. I've had I've watched him in small snippets here and there, dude. He's he's phenomenal, and I I, I would. I feel like I would learn a lot from him. So he, he's one of the ones that I've been trying to meaning to get out there and be with. But I, I love watching some of the other instructors. I like I love talking to some of these other CEOs too that I'm meeting, right? Because they're in it. They're in the grind every single day. So talking, uh, you know, through some of their problems and how they solve them, uh, I love learning from them as well. Are you looking at everything from delivery to hand to, to, to body to just that initial icebreaker? Is, that, is this part of your process that you just kind of – you're observing. I, when we saw Jocko at the uh, the workshop with IBW, the guy has just a presence and the delivery is just, it's obviously just spot on. It's world class. I've never seen anyone just go for as long as he can in, in public speaking and just be phenomenal. And it all starts with his delivery. Mm. So I think everybody's got their own style. I'm, I'm not going to be Jocko. Sure. Uh, and, and I made my mind up very early. Like I'm not going to try to emulate their style because that's them. Sure. So I'm going to do me, but what I am taking away is 
the way they're articulating things, right? Or some of the point of views that they have or how they approach some of the problems. That is what I'm looking at. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm never going to be this big, tough, intimidating guy like Jocko, right? He, he just has a presence about him. Like as soon as he steps on stage, people are listening. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's just not going to be my style. And I just don't think that it'll be authentic. And that's one of my big things, right? It, we were talking about it earlier. I don't take notes. I don't rehearse. I don't, uh, I kind of just throw the slide up there and I just Go start talking yeah. because I feel like it's more authentic. Like it's, I, I just don't want to come off like as a robot, if you will. And I think if I start trying to copy someone's style, it's just not going to be, you can see it. It's not going to be me and it's just not going to come out right. Cool. Right on. Yeah, Thank you. Right on, man. Uh, awesome. We're all the same question for you. Uh, com- whether it's competitors, um, clients, potential clients, clients, are you observing these, these other leaders that you deal with on, on a day-to-day basis? I would say, yeah. I mean, I'm always looking for the different leadership styles. Um, I mean, I go, I go hard in the paint, dude. I, I mean, I'm all in, you know, I, I go podcasts. I mean, I'll go, I'll grab any keynote speaker, but you know, I can, um, I'm looking at different styles, but you know what I'm really looking at? I'm really looking at, you know, how the audience is taking it, you know, right. The body reactions and like, wow, that stuck, you know, that's they're, they're, they like that, that piece. Yeah. And once I get like that involvement, I truly can, you know, uh, like, like Carlos said, like you adapt your own style to it. You know, like I bring a lot of passion too. you know, I try to bring passion so that guys understand that I'm for real. Like I believe in it. You know, that's a leadership style that I learned just watching other guys like Jocko and like Carlos and, and Dave Burke. I had the chance to watch Dave Burke. I mean, these dudes, they got passion, man. And when you, when you, when that person has passion, you really, you really believe with them. You know, like you said, if you're just going to throw out system stuff and a PowerPoint, just hit those bullets, you're going to lose people quick, especially now. Right now, you got to grab attention from our workforce. You got to grab attention to build relationships. And it's it's through that. It's truly through that. You know, it's, it's watching and learning and listening. That yeah. passion combined with that skill. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a big hit. Absolutely. I really like what you said in terms of the audience. That's yeah. actually a really good point. That's what I look for too, right? Yeah. When you see them connect to a point, I'm like, okay, the way they delivered that point right then and there, the way they articulated yeah. that, that actually got to them. So that was like a really good way of delivering it. Oh, yeah. So and agree. everybody's different too, yeah, right? Yeah. Everybody takes it different, absorbs it different, and you're trying to find that um, that balance of what works. And it's, man, it's, you got to keep doing it. Can't give up. Cool. Right on. Great. Uh, great. Yeah. Great answers. Thank you. All right. We'll let you guys work this one together. <laughs> Uh, what three foods do you not order when you're at a business, potential client, client dinner? Uh, what, what do you got there? Chicken wings? Is that off the menu? <laughs> I'm going, I'm definitely going, I'm not ordering spaghetti, lasagna. I ain't doing none of that. I ain't doing a- Some lobster just <laughs> flying butter everywhere. <laughs> I ain't doing crab. I ain't cracking crab at <laughs> business dinner, that's for sure. I don't know. Yeah. Same, I'm going same. something simple. Same Fork same. and knife steak. Salmon, Crab, chicken, uh, That's it. wings, ribs. Oh, ribs would be bad. <laughs> ribs would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> that business handshake, just yeah. all greased out. I was going. Oh, you threw a fun one in there. Hey, man, BJ Penn. You got to love what now. you do, but you got to have fun, right? You got to love what you do, but you got to have fun. All right, here we go. Uh, Micro, uh, Dirty Jobs, and then he does the Deadliest Catch voice. He says, just because you love what you do doesn't mean you can't suck. Uh, my question to you guys, we'll go with Carlos first. Could you lead, own, run a business if you don't love what you do? Obviously, Micro was saying that just because you have passion doesn't mean you can't suck. You still need that skill. But if you, if, if you don't love it, is it still possible? 
That's a hard one. Am I going first? Yeah. Carlos, <laughs> be ready for it. Go I, for it. I think you can. I think you can. Let's say, for example, uh, maybe you know you started off as as a plumber and you don't like being a plumber, but you know what you do like. You do like building a business. You do like delivering a service to people. You do like running a team. You do like mentoring them. You do like growing your business, all right? So do you like the actual plumbing? No, but you can love the business portion of it, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's how I see it. <laughs> like it. Roll. Good answer, man. I I think if you... uh if you're smart enough to love something and run a business, I mean, you got to be smart enough to uh, hire the right folks. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of good, a lot of good companies, a lot of good leaders hide behind the, the 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 workforce, man. I'll just be honest, right? I mean, but if you could hire the right people and have passion enough to be fall back on leadership, I mean, we said it right here. Like, you know, I mean, you don't have to know everything, um, but if you fall back on leadership and use those skills, I think you, I think you can get through just about anything. Right on. Yeah. All right, next question. We'll go with uh, Raul first. Oh, man. How do you look at an area, a division, a procedure, and say this is something we need to improve uh, or there's, some, there's room for improvement? Raul. How do I look at it? How do you look at it? How do you analyze it? How, what's, is there any markers, red flags that you're going to say, like, this is, I need to pump the brakes? <sighs> I look at, I mean, just where I'm at. Like, I'm a psycho, right? And... If I see something just not feels right, whether it's in safety or quality or even, even just, I'll just say profit, you know, like I jump on it and um, I try to see where we went wrong as quick as possible because I know when things go wrong and they're going to go wrong, like once, once you lose control, there's no turning back. I mean, you hit that rock bottom on, on things. We've talked about it before. Like yeah. there's no turning back and, and the initial response and the response I, I don't want to be in my, in my leadership position is blaming others right away. Right. Because at my, at my level or any leadership level, like you should be seeing that before it happens. Like there should be so many more indicators before you've hit rock bottom. I don't know if that's what you were going for, but yeah, that's how, that's how I would jump all over it. And I got to be careful. Cause like I said, I, I I'm terrible at jumping on it too quick and not detaching from it, but yeah, that's how right. I'd answer that. Right. Thank you for your transparency. Uh, Carlos, any input on that? So I would agree that I used to be that way a lot, right? But um, because it kind of got thrown in my face back so many times, I have learned the art of asking questions. Because so many times, you know, when I was young, I would look at something and be like, this is stupid. Why are we doing it this way, right? And then they'd be like, oh, we're doing it because of this. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I feel like a moron now right and i got tired of looking like an idiot <laughs> so now anytime i look at something i just start asking questions like sincere questions like oh you know when do we start doing that is there a reason why we're doing it this way and i'm asking questions because right because i sincerely want to know because now now as i'm older i try to approach every situation with the mentality is i i, I probably don't know everything yeah you know chances are very extremely high yeah. <laughs> and by high i mean about 100 <laughs> percent that i don't know everything there's something here that i'm missing and I try to do that now with any opinion, right? When someone has an opinion that differs a lot from mine, what's the natural human tendency? It's to like, you know, put the brakes on oh, and yeah. immediately you shake your hand and you, oh, yeah. or sorry, shake your head and you immediately close your mind. Whereas now I've really, you know, uh, I really strive to, okay, well, why is it that they're thinking this way? Maybe there's something I'm missing. And I just start asking questions. Now, as I'm asking questions, if I see that they're pretty confident about it, I'm like, okay, there's a reason why we're doing it this way, right? Now, if they don't know how to answer my questions, then that's when I start digging deeper or I start asking somebody else. 
because I'm like, okay, there may be something here, right? It may be one of these scenarios. That's where I kind of have the little spidey sense, like, okay, this may be one of those things that we're doing it this way because that's the way we've always done it, but not necessarily because it's the best way. Right on. Thank you. Uh, Next question. Uh, This one's pretty tough. I'm going to go with Carlos first on this one. I think Raul can build off this one. Uh, Carlos, sorry, you're the the professional here. He is the professional. Uh, How do you start leadership? And and I kind of asked you that in – when you were in your career, your SEAL career as a E4, E5, E6, uh, it, it's kind of a mid-management. And you, you're really just working. You're just, you're just doing the things that you're asked to do. You really don't understand your role as a leader. And then you kind of, you're, you're able to detach and see the bigger picture. But, but how do you start leadership? How, how does that start? How does that, that, that first step start? It's a little vague, but no, there's a point okay. to it. Yeah, give me a second. That's a good question. Yeah. Like you mean when is it like when does your make that switch that you want to lead? Yeah, how do you start? Like I I, I got the I got this book right here. I got this this beautiful extreme leadership book tabbed, uh, signed by Carlos here now too. Yeah. And uh, how do you start? And where do I start? Where do I go? Where do I start? If you're looking to lead, like be a leader and just lead yourself. And we talk about leading yourself, leading yourself too. Yeah. I think step number one is is realizing that you need to work on it. Realizing that leadership is a skill. All right, because I think so many people don't even try because they're like. Oh, you're born a leader. Like we hear that a lot, right? Leaders are born, which is simply not the case. Now, are people born with some characteristics that make them, you know, better leaders? Sure. Some people are very charismatic. Some people are very confident. Some people are born, you know, just humble people by nature. But I think uh, realizing that that's a skill that you need to work on, that's step number one. Step number two, I would say, is is working on your humility because you're not going to become a leader overnight. So as you're going through these uh, growing pains, these learning pains, if you will, right, you're going you're gonna to frustrate your team. There are going to be times where you make bad calls. There are going to be times where you say something that, that wasn't like the best thing. But having that humility to say, hey, hey, guys, I'm really sorry about this, or team, hey, I'm really sorry about this, that's what's going to get you through those growing pains. So I would say, one, realize that you need to work on it, the skill. Two, have the humility. And I'm going to say three, Start building relationships with people. That's why when we teach cover move, that's why it's the first law of combat. Building relationships with people is the foundation of a team. If you don't have relationships with people, you don't have team. You just have a bunch of random people doing their own thing. Uh, and I think that's that's a pretty good starting point, right? If you don't oh, know yeah. where to begin. Because uh, you want to keep it simple, right? Because I could go down the steps of, simple. well, you can do this and you can do that. <laughs> but now it becomes overwhelming. Sure. So let's keep it simple, like what we teach, right? Hey, sure. first, yeah. realize that it is a skill. Two, Realize that you need to be humble because that's what's going to get you through those growing pains with your team. You're, that's what's going to give your team that patience to see you through that growth. And then three, start building relationships with people. Right on, well said. And that can that can help. I mean, anyone listening just looking to get that foot that that first step. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to say that's a really good start. That's a really good start. Raul, you want to add anything to that? I know. Uh, I Carlos. mean, Carlos crushed it as as you would imagine. But I think I'll just add. You know, when I found, you know, as far as like that time to lead is, and I'll go back to a law of combat, cover and move. Like, I really think teamwork, you know, we talk about cover and move and that, that principle, like I found enjoyment in the teamwork environment, whether you're on a crew or you're leading an organization, like there's a lot of enjoyment to seeing people be successful, right? I mean, you found yeah. it at Echelon Front. I, I have that same enjoyment. And when I just, for me personally, because you're asking the, you know, the question about, when I found the right time is when I found that enjoyment in leadership. I'm, I just enjoyed it. 
you know, I truly loved it, had passion for it. And to see my team succeed along my career, you know, and what I've done in the past and not much, but, you know, I'll hang my hat on it. And I think being a leader is something that I could go back to and enjoy it. And it's that teamwork environment. So I think once you enjoy being part of a team and you can lead that team, I think there's nothing else better. Right on. You know? Valuable stuff right there. That's awesome. Uh, this one's going to hit deep. Uh, we'll go with uh, Roll first. Sorry, boss. <laughs> All good, man. All right, here we go. You are relieved of your duties effective immediately, but your predecessor is you, the younger version of you, the day one version of you at your position. What advice are you giving to that version of you? Raul is going to be your day one version of Director T&D. Carlos will go uh, SEAL team. Uh, we'll go back to that. What are you telling yourself? Roll. What am I telling my younger self? Yes, sir. Oh, build what relationships advice? quicker. That's the that's my advice. Is I took a little bit longer to build build relationships. Um, I think if I'd have done that earlier, um, I think it would have been an easier road. Um, second advice would be you got to find that balance. You know, you can't be working to where you know you don't have that balance in your family life or whatever you're doing, whatever you enjoy. Uh, definitely one and two. I could probably come up with the third one. Um, and, you know, just, yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. You know, and don't be afraid to give, you know, give other people the opportunity to be successful, right? Don't take it all on at, all at once. You know, I think Carlos will probably elaborate on all this, but you can do a better job. But, he, you know, I think it's let other people fail a little bit too. You know, give up some. Don't micromanage. I think that would be the top three. Sorry for the delay in that, but that's that's kind of my top three right there. Right on. Thank you. Carlos? Um, I think looking back at my younger self and the parts that I didn't like about myself when I was younger, I would say be more empathetic, gracious when people make mistakes or um, you know don't catch on as quickly as you would like them to uh, and, and be more patient. Right, which all yeah. kind of falls under humility. Yeah. That's I what I would tell my younger self. I don't thank you. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. Man, you guys killed it. I should have uh, got some harder questions. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I, I, what about you? Uh, what would you tell your younger self? Let's hear it. You didn't answer one question. Uh, I'm just a producer, man. Put you on the spot. <laughs> I'm just a guy pushing buttons. Uh, just gratitude. I, I see it from you, Raul. Um, you're great, you're grat you're, you show gratitude in with your time and just your energy. I, I've seen you hit a phone, hit a button for a meeting because you're, you're in a conversation with a guy and, and your time is pretty valuable too. So, um, just learning steps like that, it kind of falls back to Carlos is just being, being, being more humble. Um, I had a certain style as a lineman that, that really didn't suit me and I, I was kind of finding that style, but, um, I think it really does fall down to humility, paying it forward. I feel like I'm at an age where, there's some skills I can help mentor or, or allow people to share to uh, a younger generation that, that would help them uh, not be such a knucklehead like I was. So, yeah, for sure. Well said, buddy. I don't like questions. I like, answer, I like giving them. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, right, wrong, or different? This is a new segment I want to try out. Um, I'm going to read a statement, a paragraph. Um, just once again, this is all in conversation to um, build – um, disagreement or, or differences of opinion. Uh, that's all, that's all I want to do right here. All right, here we go. Cooper cup missed the Rams previous Super Bowl. That was in 2019. He tore his ACL forcing him to miss the big dance. Obviously, uh, 2021, uh, Super Bowl 
uh, champs MVP role. I know you're a Rams fan. Uh, he had probably one of single greatest seasons as an NFL receiver. Great job. Uh, anyways, we're looking. We're talking about his. Um, he, he he was asked a question. I'll get to right now um, about his injury, and here's the here's the, here's what he had to say. Uh, he he was asked a question about a setback. At no point was there any doubt in my mind I was going to come back better than before. I felt like if I had given an opportunity to rebuild myself, I felt like I was given an opportunity to rebuild myself exactly how I wanted. I could run the way I wanted to run. I could run routes the way I wanted, I wanted to run routes. Ooh, run routes. I could cut the way I wanted to cut and eliminate bad habits and move into a place where at the time uh, where that stuff is efficient and dialed in as possibly um, I could make it. So I, I, I hammered that. But anyways, uh, I'm going to disagree with Cooper Cup. Why wait for an injury, a setback to, to make the changes that you want? You have the skill Make the changes right then and there. If it's going to be to, to be safer, to be efficient, to teach or to lead, why, why are you going to wait? Roll right, wrong, or different? What do you think? Well, I mean. Should you wait? I mean, are you waiting for opportunity? Waiting for a setback? To, to, I can't. To, I mean, I don't know about waiting, but I'm just going to agree to disagree with you, I guess. Just because, I mean, Cooper Cup obviously made that decision based off of his experience, right? And I'll go back to a leadership tactic. Right. I mean, he's using his experience, his previous experience to make the decision of that call. And I firmly believe as a professional, he made the right decision of that because he knows his body. Um, so I got I got to disagree with you. I think he made the right call wow. just based off his experience. He was uh, decisive amid uncertainty. <laughs> he made a call. Call sweet thing. Right, wrong or different. Uh, I agree with him as well, just because I think that maybe that injury is what gave him that detachment to be able to make that decision. Because when you're in it, sometimes you just don't see it, right? And I've had it happen to me where I've gotten injured. And at first, I'm really frustrated and pissed off. But then, you know, I would just still go observe the platoon, you know, with my sling. And you see things that you didn't see before. You think about things that you haven't thought about before. And you're like, oh, actually, when I go back, I want to do X, Y, and Z. But you can only see that from because you were detached. So maybe his injury allowed him to take that step back and be able to process that and make that decision. Yeah, it's good perspective. Man. All right. Uh, last one for this, uh, this segment. Oh. Denzel Washington says, just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot done. Don't confuse movement with progress. Uh, I'm going to agree with Denzel Washington. Um, I got Extreme Ownership book right here. If I read it, it's, it's all great. But if I'm not acting on those principles, it does nothing. Roll. I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, but you got to be careful too, because you just want, you don't want to just be busy, right? Sure. You got to be productive. So I think if you, whatever you're doing at any point, you know, if you take the time to really process what you're doing and that way you can learn from it, whether you're reading a book or when you're executing a project, um, I think just being busy is not good. Like you got to, especially with our time, like you got to value your time. So, yep. This I'll is actually you. something I talk about a lot during my FTXs. I'm like, hey, activity doesn't equal productivity, right? So you may think that you're being productive because you've you've sorted through your entire inbox, right? Oh, look, my inbox is, is empty. Cool. So you think you're being productive. No, you're just busy, 
when maybe there were a lot of other things that you could have done that would have made a much bigger impact for your organization, like being out there with the guys, making sure that your commander's intent is crystal clear. There are other things that you could have done. So, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Activity doesn't equal productivity. Right yeah. on. That's all I got for that segment. Uh, it. How'd I do on that one? You like yeah, it? It's not a dumpster fire like uh, like normal, but we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got a couple more. Uh, I got questions from the gram. See that? From the gram. My Jocko impression. Yeah, Jocko. All right. Um, at Lorenzo Saveo, our permit manager, asks, uh, you can find him on episode eight, Powerland Podcast. Uh, he's got a question for Carlos. I believe that when you surround yourself with motivated, highly driven, or like-minded individuals, you'll be successful as well. But in order for you to sit at that table, you have to bring something for everyone to eat. In the past, I've never had a problem sitting at a table or even leaving a table to set, to set my own. But as I've grown and learned humility, gratitude, and patience, it has brought me to more meaning, meaningful tables. Tables full of mentors and leaders. I feel like it is hard for me to discern when it's my turn to eat or when it's my turn to serve. I hate this feeling. It sometimes feels like I just need to be grateful and, and have a seat. How do I get past this feeling? Carlos. These are for you, Carlos, by the way. These are questions. Yeah, we that question. <laughs> um, I was talking to Lorenzo. He, 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 he's got this street leadership. He, he grew up hard, tough, and he's basically, the conversation I had was like, he's getting to tables or, or he's getting mentors who are at a higher level that he wants to keep progressing. He wants to keep going. He doesn't know when it's time to sit at that table or or set his own table, kind of his own style, I guess. That's a good, you know, that's a good question. I, that is a really good question. <laughs> and good. I'm going to take a moment because I want to give you a good answer because I think you deserve it. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe or necessarily agree with his statement that you got to bring something especially when you're first starting out. Um, let me give you an example, right? When I first uh, was transitioning out of the Navy, I sought out mentors in the finance world, right? So I kind of nudged my way into that table, right? I reached out to people on LinkedIn. I made connections. I asked if they had connections, and I would pick their brains. And I'll be honest with you, dude, I don't think I was bringing anything to their table if I'm being 100%. Right, I was just learning and taking it in. Now, where I felt like I was giving back was when I got to that position and now I had vets reaching out to me. I was like, okay, cool. Somebody took the time out of their schedule to help me and now this is my chance to give back. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. There are, there are a lot of people that I'm surrounded by where I'm like, I don't feel like I bring whole lot to the table i mean when i hang around with jocko i'm like what am i what am i bringing to the table with this guy here right he's got all this experience and whatnot but here's what i can do i can take everything that i've learned from him and now i'm gonna be able to teach other people who are in that position that i was in when i was just looking to learn um and and i don't know if if i would necessarily try to force that right when to eat when to when to how did he word it when to eat and when to when to serve when to serve, when yeah. to serve. I think that's just going to come naturally. I think as you eat 
And as you improve, people will come to you and ask you to serve them. And I think that's kind of been the case for me, right? Uh, I think as I've grown and I've learned from so many different people, the more I learn, the more I grow, the more people I actually have reach out to me and ask me to help them. And I'm able to now, right? And so I'm more than happy to do that for them. So it was basically just passing it forward. Now, eventually you're going to get to the point, right, where you're going to be able to be a contributor. But I just don't necessarily feel like it has to be a forced thing. And if it's a true friendship, they shouldn't be like, hey, what, what am I getting out of this? Yeah. But that's just my opinion. Hey, I, I could be 100% wrong, but that's kind of how I view oh, things. Well said. Well said, man. Well said. All right, next question. I think it's uh, from your, one of your buddies are here. At Koopa underscore Rolls. Ah, Koop. Koop. You know him? Yeah, I know him. <laughs> He's one of my jiu-jitsu buddies. Nice. Uh, here's the question. Let's see what he asked me. <laughs> jiu-jitsu or burritos? Both. <laughs> Why not? Oh, Both. Your burrito First guy? you do jiu-jitsu, and then we get burritos. <laughs> I just saw the burrito. Uh, that's, that's actually an inside joke between him and I. Yeah. I figured uh, I wanted to bring it up. All right, next one. Um, here we go. From our buddy at Angela Nerds. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guy over there on the East Coast. He's trying to implement uh, a lot of principles into his company. He has a great question here. How, as leaders... Get this. Uh, how as leaders can we begin to address in the mental health crisis in the trades? Roll. Well, it's definitely uh, mental health is is something very serious. Um, I, I I think it's in all trades. You know, um, mental health. You know, it's uh, it's not specific to anyone. You know, boy, girl, you know, male, female, it doesn't matter. Um, but I do think I think the first step. It's just my opinion. I'm not an expert. I will say that, right? Um, there's a ton of experts out there. Reach out. But I think the first step is we talk about checking your ego. And I think you got the first step is actually making that step and understanding there might be an issue. Um, and I think that, you know, reach out, talk to somebody, talk to a friend. Um, every company, every corporation, uh, every union, um, every, anybody that you work for typically have employee assistance programs. I'd reach out to that. Um, I know here locally, uh, we've had this, this question to ask to us, right. To, to bring it up and have a conversation about it. Um, you know, here locally, there are, there's so many avenues. Um, I know Paul put some information in the show notes. Um, that way we, there's an avenue, you know, to start that conversation. I think that's the first step. So. Right on. I'm going to touch on that real quick. Uh, as Roll said, I will be putting that link uh, that's available to us locally here um, for for the workforce. But um, I think Roll and I are going to commit to at least bringing up this conversation, have it a little more, make it a little more casual. Uh, whatever that looks like, we'll deal with it. But uh, I think as a society, as a culture, we need to we need to start embracing that conversation and really account uh, for for each other and, and look out for each other. Be be each other's uh, be each other's brother's keeper. Absolutely. Um, Carlos, uh, I know uh, the veteran community sees a lot of uh, suicides, 22 suicides a day is a statistic. Um, is there anything you can add to, to, to bring the value in this conversation? Well, like Rose said, I'm not an expert, so I don't know if there's much I could bring to the conversation in terms of, you know, being productive. But I will say that with my guys, uh, one, I built a good relationship with them, right? And as I'm building these relationships with them and I'm having casual conversations, 
Hey, I, I, I'm pretty open and honest about, hey, my struggles, uh, I'm going to say like in my late 20s, like, you know, midway through my career, I was a little burnt out, you know, I had a couple TBIs and I realized that I wasn't a human that I was particularly proud of being. And it was at that point where I'm like, yeah, dude, you know what? I sought out some help. You know, I, it really helped out when I talked to, you know, a couple other people that had gone through that and it was like, okay, cool. That's normal. Right. Um, so I'm very casual about it. Just trying to let them know like, Hey dude, this stuff happens. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It happens. But once you've realized it, well, what is wrong is if, if you continue and you don't seek help, there's absolutely nothing wrong with seeking help. Like, um, you know, I can't speak for your guys' profession, but in our profession, you know, there's a lot of guys who struggle with it and they, they may think that people might look at them a certain way or differently or think, and, and I want to let them know that, hey, that's not, that's absolutely not the case, man. We're all human beings. We all process things differently. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't proud of who I was at one point in my life. And, and, and once I realized that, that it was affecting my relationship, you know, with my wife, that it was affecting my relationship with my son, I, I sought out help. Um, I'm just pretty open and casual about it. Sometimes they'll ask more and sometimes they won't. But at least I put it out there that, hey, it's, it's pretty normal for, for, for people to feel this way. You know, humans go through peaks and valleys. And when you're going through your valleys, it's absolutely 100% okay to ask for help. All right on. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, next question. Uh, Tony underscore Bravo underscore Knives, uh, episode seven. Check him out. Parliament podcast. Uh, Tony. Tony Bravo. Uh, what is the hardest part of today's society or from your perspective? Uh, I assume he's talking about culture or just the generation. Uh, Carlos. <laughs> Go with it, Carlos. You read the question one more time. <laughs> yeah. Make sure I got it. Right. What is the hardest part of today's society? Um, I can only take that as, as not, only, not really entirely sure what he means by that. I, I, do you, I can, how do you take I can, it? I can field it a little bit just to maybe spark something. Yeah. But yeah, what, what do you think he's asking? I think he's talking about maybe. I know he's not talking about gas prices, because <laughs> that's that's something that we don't want to talk about. But no, I think what he's talking about there, or asking the question, is like today's society, the culture is. I think there's an instant gratification going on here, where guys are, you know, not brought up. I can say in this generation, right? Our generation was your you were, you were uh, always working hard. You're getting up early. You know, I was I was doing landscaping. I was digging holes. I was, you know, scraping off, paying off houses, you know. Um, and you saw and you worked hard for what you, what you earned. I think now, and it happens to me when sometimes we interview people and, you know, they're telling me how they want to, you know, advance, which is all good, but they're describing what they want to do. And I said, well, you want my job, right? And it's like that's something that you'll get to. Um, so I think there's um, a lack of – and I, I say this respectfully because it's not everybody, right? It's sure. it's just kind of the feeling is there, you know, especially with social media and how easy it is to access things. I think how do you how do you get that uh, that hard work back in our culture? I think that's the hardest thing for me is like the lack of the instant gratification that things you know things take. It's going to take a little longer. You got to we got to work a little harder at it. For sure. So that's, Paul, so that's you my perspective. Okay, I kind of see where you're going with that. I mean, if I had to choose the one thing that I think is. Uh, challenge challenge is um i think there's been a breakdown in the family right um and the reason i say that is because if if you look at like all the problems that we're facing today in society right including the ones you're talking about it's because i feel that for a a generation parents were scared to be parents they wanted to be their kid's friend 
right? And the breakdown in the family in terms of like, you know, good values, morals. Uh, I, I think there's definitely been a breakdown in that. And because of that, you have all these problems with mental health, that you have all these problems with drugs, that you have all these problems, you know, th- that, that occur. And, um, hey, listen, by the way, this is just Carlos's opinion. By no <laughs> means am I saying like, oh, right. you know, I'm right. This is just my observation, my opinion, um, because I think that it goes along those lines, right, where uh, I think if, if good parenting was in place, right, kids would learn the, the, the gratitude, the value of hard work. And then here's the thing. It, it's, it's gotten harder with time to be a parent. And the reason for that is because as society progresses, it becomes easier on the kids. Like, think about it. Like, think about the way you and I grew up, right? Mm-hmm. That everything was in place in order to make us tougher. But our kids, our kids will never feel that. No matter what easier. we do. Exactly. Yeah. No matter what we yeah. do. Quicker and easier. Everything's going to be easier for them. So we have to find those ways to challenge them. So as parents, it actually becomes harder. But I don't think that's happening, right? I don't think we're we're really, as parents, doing that for our, our younger generations where we're, we're giving them that sense of gratitude. We're showing them what hard actually really is. Um, and, you know, you have that saying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, hard times create hard men. And, you know, hard men create good times. Mm-hmm. Good times create soft men. Soft men create hard times, and it's just this big cycle. Yeah, And I think we're definitely going through a cycle right now where it's like, hey, things have been so easy for so long for, for this you know, younger generation that they just forgot to be, how to be hard. But guess what? Hard times are coming. You're going to have to become hard. But here's the beautiful thing about human beings. Human beings are amazing, amazing creatures. Are resilient. They're very resilient. Oh, yeah. So when faced with those obstacles, when faced with that adversity – they're going to adapt. adapt right. They're going to adapt. But the problem is we haven't had to adapt. And as parents, we haven't seen that gap that our kids have to adapt. So we haven't risen to the challenge and made it hard for them. So, yeah. hey, yeah. that's well, just, so like I said. Killed it, man. Killed uh, it. Our next question from Rachel underscore Lenore, our um, fleet manager. Yes. Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Uh, she's actually seen Carlos. She saw him a couple weeks ago in Colorado, I believe. Yeah, I remember Rachel. Remember Rachel? Yeah. yeah. All right. She wants to know. Got a good one. Let's Got go a good it. one. You ready? Yeah. This is just for uh, Carlos here, too. Oh, man. <laughs> man. Hang on. Put the camera right on his face. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Uh, does it bother you when people say you look like a young Oscar De La Hoya? She went with you. She put young in there. Thank you. She I didn't appreciate say, She didn't that. say a relevant old Oscar. She said a young. That's very kind of her. Uh <laughs> That eh, doesn't bother me. I've been getting it every day of my life since I was 16. I actually, what's funny is that at that event... <laughs> that I went and did as I was checking in the hotel, um, the bellhop was like, Oscar, is it you? <laughs> uh, it doesn't bother me. There, hey, listen, it could be worse. People could be comparing me to Joe Pesci or something. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Very true. I like it. Uh, thanks, Rachel. Great. I'll take question, it. I'll take Rachel. it, Rachel. Thank you. Uh, right on. Here we go. Last question. Ryan Lucas from at Powerline Podcast, uh, episode 14. Ryan is a great friend of the show. Uh, Ryan's a, a great uh, innovator, motivator. He's doing big things. Shout out to Ryan. What up, Ryan? What's up, Ryan? Uh, this will be for both of you guys here. We'll go with... Uh, we'll get Carlos off the hot seat real quick. We'll go with Raul. Let's do it. <laughs> You're not going to like this one, though. No, that's fine. How do you teach your teen discipline? Oh. Your teen? Teen. Well, she's oh. not teen yet. All right. Pre-teen. Pre-teen. 
Don't, don't, she's our, well, she's 12 going on 15, I guess. How do I teach her discipline? I, I could tell you I could probably do better, you know, because she is my only baby and, you know, I got a softie for her. Um, but I'm really trying to get her to, um, I don't know, just kind of, you know, get up early, right? Like, like I was. I mean, she's not out scraping paint on fascia. fascia. Um, she's not digging holes. Um, uh, you know, I did take her to work with, uh, with my, with my dad. And it was a really good experience. We had a huge palm tree to cut, um, and we did it together. So there's, I find opportunities to do that. Obviously, reading. She's grabbing a new book that that uh, Carlos uh, recommended here um, on one of his shows that we listen to. And um, uh, yeah, reading, getting up early, eating right. You know, trying to get her some, instill some of those habits in her, um, and hopefully someday it'll stick. I I find myself. Um, and I started this with her, with her golfing really is really sh- like pushing it on her, not making it fun. And I tried, um, so you could imagine what happened. She's not really, you know, wanting to do it. And I, and she's really good, unfortunately, like she's really good. So now I'm trying to take, you know, seize those moments where there's opportunities to where we can have some fun, right? Like we're going to go on a trip here to, um, to Colorado and, you know, put a, put a club in her hand and see if she enjoys it and. Hopefully one day it'll stick because I think she's really good. So, yeah, that's what I would do. That's what I do. Wow. Thanks, thanks, Ryan. Great question. Carlos. I'm going to say that if you've waited till they become a teenager, so you're already behind the power curve. So I'm going to say, Oof. so there's a book that I read a long time ago. It's called The Dare to Discipline. It's a really good book. Uh, you know, I read it. I took a lot of things from there uh, when I became a father because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to read some books. That's my go-to. Uh, but anyways, I really like this book. And what it talks about is you're, you're establishing that that discipline from a young age. They're saying like between the ages of three and five, you're kind of establishing what that rhythm is going to be, right? So if you weren't disciplined with them back then, if you didn't teach them discipline back then, it's going to be extremely – it's almost going to be impossible, right, if you haven't been disciplined with them from an early age to instill it in them when they're going to be teenagers. Because here's the thing. My philosophy, once again, complete <laughs> disclaimer – Right. My philosophy as I've gotten older and I've seen how my son is, I've seen how my parents raised me and I saw how, you know, that teacher was with me. My philosophy has been like, okay, listen, you're, you start off really strict with them. You show them that discipline. And as they get older and older, you're kind of letting go a little bit because that's already been established. Right. Like I feel like, you know, and I've got three more years till the verdict is out, but so far (laughs) so good with my son. Right. right. Unless he completely goes off the deep end, then I can come back and tell you, hey, whatever I told you, <laughs> disregard. Disregard that. It didn't work, right? <laughs> Avalanche. But up to this point, <laughs> he's, he's been really awesome, right? So yeah. I was extremely strict with him to the point where people are like, hey, you're way too strict with him, blah, blah. But I've let go. I've let go. I let go. And now the discipline is taught in a different way because now as I'm giving him those decisions and those choices, right, when he makes a bad choice, there's consequences for it, and I make sure there are consequences for it. And that's actually teaching him to impose that discipline upon himself because now he's like, oh, crap, when I made that decision, this happened. So next time, I'm going to have the discipline to not do that. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think that if you're starting as a teenager, you're already, you're already too far behind. And, by the way, I've had this question. Like, I've had people come up to me after my keynotes and be like, hey, you know, my kid is 23 years old. They're still living at home. I'm doing all their laundry. They don't want to go out and do something. And, and I want to say, like, ma'am, it's too late. Like, you, your best shot right now is kicking him out and letting him learn on his own. For He's 23. You got to go. <laughs> you know what's crazy oh, is? Man. He's probably going to land on his feet. Yeah. But it's because you've been enabling him 
that you're allowed to do it. But yeah, I've gotten that question actually quite a bit and you know, my teenage, whatever. And I'm like, it's too late, dude. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Uh, real quick. Last segment. Uh, it'll go by real quick. Raul recommends. Um, I wanted to kind of jump in. Go for it. Uh, Jocko podcast, 314. Staking your part of the world better with Carlos Mendez. Great listen. A lot of insight. Uh, two dudes going after Jocko's uh, the best of the best when it comes to hosting a podcast. Uh, Carlos does a great job uh, being a guest. Really insightful. Uh, some of the stories will piggyback to what we're talking about. But uh, nonetheless, when you get two, uh, two Goliath of, of leadership uh, guys like Carlos and Jocko, it's, it's a great show. Uh, that's, that's my recommendation. Oh, what you got? Couldn't say it better. Awesome podcast. You guys did a great job on that. Um, for me, I got to recommend, uh, and I hope Carlos can elaborate a little bit. Uh, I'm going to uh, rep- or uh, recommend Echelon Front. Um, only because it's changed me personally. I've, I've really ad- adapted to it, you know, trying to better myself. And so thank you, you and the entire team, you know, Jocko, Leif, um, JP, Jason, Jamie, right? You got your whole team out there. I think you guys have, have a great company. Um, so, guys, I'm going to recommend, you know, check them out, echelonfront.com, right? Um, they got keynote addresses, workshops, um, tons of, just tons of uh, information. My personal favorite currently is the online training, um, Extreme Ownership Academy. Uh, I'm going through that right now. Um, super, super easy to navigate through. Uh, got live sessions Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can interact with with the whole team, which is cool. Yeah. You're awesome on there too. Got caught some of your live sessions, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend Echelon Front. Right on. Call us anything. Recommend? What can I recommend? Give my choices. Uh, Jocko, go recipe, a cookbook, uh, a book, I a will vacation. Ask you a question while you're thinking, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I didn't mention the FTX, uh-huh. so I haven't participated in the FTX. Um, do you recommend that? I actually do. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Let's talk about that because that would be cool to hear about. Uh, yeah, so here's the thing, yeah. man. When I first heard about the FTX, right? So yeah. the FTX is a field training exercise where you're taking these principles that we teach, all these leadership principles, and you're actually applying them at, you know, a hands-on activity. And when I first heard about it, I'm like, dude, this is going to be cheesy. Like, I don't want to take some executives and teach them how to be Navy SEALs and run them to these mock missions. It turns out that it's actually a phenomenal training tool. And that's actually where I, I, I talk about Bruce Lee's quote, right? The pain will leave when it's done teaching you. Because here's the thing. I can talk about, let's say, for example, detachment, right? I can talk about detachment till I'm blue in the face. And you can be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I got it. But when you go out on this field training exercise, you know, you go on this field training exercise and you see people like they're so emotionally involved in the scenario and they're not leading their team because they're looking down the scope of their gun. They're, they're blasting away, and they're the team leader in that situation. And it, it's not until I go up to them, and I'll either do one of two things. I'll either kill them off in the scenario, or I'll take their gun away. But the most effective one is I kill them off in the scenario, right? And then I'll kind of sit there. I'll give it a few seconds, and then I'll ask them, like, hey, what do you think we should do right now? And I always say something really miraculous happens when I kill them off. They all of a sudden become tactical geniuses. Right? They know exactly what to do. They make the right call. But why is it that you couldn't make that call literally 30 seconds before? Oh, because you weren't detached. Yeah. So that's when You're they the actually thick. make that connection like, oh, <laughs> that's what that means. 
But like I said, it's not until they felt that pain, that frustration of not doing it where it really sinks in. And it sinks in with all these other principles too, right? Like simple. Hey, if their plan wasn't simple, clear, and concise, guess what? Their team, it they're not going to execute. So that's where they actually see like, oh, the plan that I had in my head, right? Or whatever it is that I communicated in my head, it was it was super clear. But it obviously wasn't to my team because they're not doing what I asked them to do. So that's where they were starting to make the connection. One of, one of the CEOs that we were just like, this is what my team feels like with me then, right? So they have these like epiphanies because they're feeling the pain real time. I don't want to give too much away, but here's the way I would compare it to, right? You have, let's say you have a chemistry class, right? So let's compare this leadership thing to a, a, a chemistry class. Extreme ownership, dichotomy, that is the textbook, right? The workshops are the in-class stuff. And the FTX is the lab. You know, like here in yeah. school, you have biology, you have your textbook, you have the classes, but then you actually have a lab to see it in action. So that's what the FTX is. It's the lab. It's a laboratory. That's awesome. I'm going to take you up on it. We're going to do one of those. Let's do it. <laughs> We're gonna you got to get one here on the West Coast. <laughs> We're going to do one at FTX, dude. You down, Paul? I'm going. I got my backpack. Let's well, roll, bro. Skivvies, that's it. Packed up. My seat back. You still fold them up like in boot camp? No way, man. I got away from that stuff. <laughs> I still fold my t-shirts like that, dude. Dude, that's, that's genius. You can fit a lot of t-shirts. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Uh, Carlos, I, I'm done. Um, Roll's going to wrap this thing up, but I, I want to go in and thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for your contributions to contributions to this, na- uh, to this, uh, this country, your service. I want to thank you to your contributions to the veteran community. And I especially want to thank you for your contributions. Uh, I'm playing that word out, but it's pretty impactful. I like it. I like how you used it. But I want to thank you for your contributions to the leadership uh, principles that you and your team uh, promote. It's a great empowering others. I think we need uh, more leaders to step up. And uh, hopefully with this podcast, it's it's really going to snowball and get some people uh, implementing some of these principles that you and your team uh, provide. Thank you, Carlos. No, it's been my pleasure. Um, I awesome. kind of always feel bad when people thank me for my service because I had a great time. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I was gonna and it was my choice. Too. You know, it was my decision, but yeah. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Bruce Lee there because that was to the what was that? What was that quote again? The pain will leave you when it's done teaching. The pain, the pain, <laughs> gotta have endurance, right? I mean, dude, like you had a, an amazing, amazing life, dude. Career, um, interesting story for us to all learn from. Straight up, right. And I appreciate you you coming out, but I do want to close with Bruce Lee again. And a, a quote you may or may not know, but I'm going okay. to give it to you anyways and all our listeners. Um, do not pray, this is Bruce Lee, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Right, got to have endurance. And then take the required actions today and lead. So, you know, becoming a leader and, and how to be a successful as a new leader. We had a good question about being a leader um, I thought I'd reference here at the end of our show, uh, Jocko Willink's book. Thank you, Jocko, for this book, uh, Leadership Strategy and Tactics. And, and I know he's mentioned it before. You're, I know you're very familiar with it. Yep, that's my favorite one, actually. Yeah, yep. really easy to relate to. And I, I like this section here. So here are some fundamental rules for, for us, for us all and our listeners, is to keep in mind as you take command or if you want to lead. First step, first thing, be humble. Right? We talked about that about being humble today. Uh, don't act like you know everything because you don't. The team knows that. Ask smart questions. Uh, listen. Ask for advice and heed to it. Treat people with respect. Uh, take ownership of failures and mistakes. 
Pass credit for success up and down the chain. Work hard. Um, have integrity. Uh, be balanced. Be decisive. Ultimately, build relationships. And lastly, get the job done. That is the purpose of a leader, to lead a team in accomplishing a mission. If you don't accomplish the mission, you fail as a leader because performance counts. So, man, it's been, a, it's been an awesome time with you today. And this is actually our first evening edition, huh? Twilight. Holy moly, the Twilight yeah. edition. Sorry to keep you up late, dude. No, not at all. Thank you for, uh, for yeah. <laughs> uh, adapting to my crazy schedule. This is probably the only time we can get it in. Oh, man, this is awesome, though. Um, you know, again, thank you for your service, man. Uh, coming on the show, is a, I'm honored to have you here. So, you know, looking forward to uh, tomorrow, yeah. right and early. Let's do it. <laughs> Zero 0600, right? We got to get up there and do some uh, leadership workshop and, and your keynote address. So thank you, man. Um, Producer Paul, thank you for holding down the fort. You know, it's been an awesome time with you. Great show. You put together another great one. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm um, impressed, man. Yeah, he did great, right? Yeah. He's freaking awesome. And he's a, and he's a decorator. <laughs> not. Um. Do you have any final words that you'd like to say or where can everybody find you, looking for you, um, blow you up on Instagram or something? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm fairly new to the Instagram game. Um, but, yeah, my handle is Carlos underscore Mendez underscore 246. Check them out. Yeah. What's and, that, and that 246? Yeah, what That's is my buzz class. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. Makes yeah. Sense. It's a good fun fact for everybody. Didn't know it. Yeah. Um, obviously, you could always find us on echelonfront.com. If you are interested in any of the, the leadership, you know, activities that we got, whether it's a keynote, get in line. You guys are busy. You know, I am very busy. Yeah, it was like a three month, two month schedule. We had to wait. Actually, it's pretty. Yeah. You guys are pretty booked. I feel bad sometimes because some people <laughs> kind of want to get it in, and I'm like, bro, you got to call yeah. me like at least two months ahead of schedule. And, you know, and I will say too, like it's top notch, dude. From the, the initiation to the follow up to you know what do you want to get out of it? I mean, it's all just top notch. So. Thank you to you and the, and the entire team and, and Jocko and Leif and all, all you guys out there. Um, well, that's a wrap, Paul. You ready to close this thing out? Um, I want to thank our listeners for, for uh, listening to this awesome evening edition podcast, The Twilight, as Paul mentioned. Um, I want to also take our, thank our promotional partners, uh, Jelco, all your fall protection needs. How's it going, Kat? Looking forward to catching up with you again. Uh, working athlete. Oh man, that blue raspberry and orange has got it going on. Those new new flavors. Uh, Klein Tools. Um, thanks to the team over at Klein Tools for supporting our Team of the Month awards. Um, awesome kids, guys. Check them out. Klein Tools. Uh, I do want to mention Co Eyewear, Cody, and Safety One. Thank you again for, for this great listen, guys. Um, Carlos, Paul, uh, all our listeners out there. So guys, stay safe. Um, stay safe and cut in uh, be fit for duty and always be your brother's keeper thank you